Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast, hosted, or I'm sorry, hosted by myself and John LaRocca, but sponsored by Bet Online, as uh, this podcast has been for a lot of 2020, actually, uh, our, our great partner, Bet Online. But, John, um, you know, what we're going to get to a lot of fairly heavy stuff when it comes to the business of professional wrestling and UFC and boxing in a second. But uh, before we get to that, how is it going with you and the family? I think we I think we in California have already been sheltered in place for like 35 days or something. So how, how's the family dealing um, with A little that? bit of cabin fever, um, especially for my wife. You know, it's just, just no break with the kids and no target runs, no target runs, no Ross runs, just this, you know, sending him to the in-laws to kind of. Which you think we're going to start doing soon because, you know, we've both been quarantined. Everyone's been quarantined for so long now that we think it's probably okay that they can go and over to me, mom, pops and, and visit them. So I think that will be be good. Um, but other than that, you know, we're, we're, we're doing our best. Uh, we, you know, and I know you know this, but our listeners probably don't know this, but, you know, we had a move planned that's still a bit delayed because of the COVID-19 and getting some work done on the house. So, so we're like really like, excited to do that and get that part of our life going the new you know where we're gonna plant roots at for the rest of our life and it's just like right now we're like we can't can't do that move yet and it's really frustrating and making this place even smaller than it is and so we're just trying to deal with that our mental our mental state with all this and and um for me personally like there's some work issues that i you know i got found out i had to i take a week furlough um uh uh, really upset about it just because I'm extremely busy and it didn't make sense. And yeah. if you actually looked at data, it would, it, it'd be, you know, it would, I shouldn't be the one, you know, so just, just a lot of frustration. I don't want to go too long about that here and, and anything like that, but just, uh, just, just really frustrating week for me. so I was pretty, pretty depressed on Monday, had a big panic attack on Monday. I suffer from panic attacks, as you know, I haven't had one for a while. And even during this pandemic, I didn't have one. And finally, I think all that kind of just hit me extremely hard at that night on Monday. Yeah, that's tough. And, uh, you know, the, the, the one thing about this is, you know, as if we, we, we don't already know this, which is empathy is so key for our race of human beings and and just how we communicate with each other and you know I, I i know what my situation is and it is very very easy for me to go oh yeah like we need to be disciplined and and this and that but my and you know i i know i know my shoes but it's also about thinking about your 
your friends and family. And, you know, one of the good things about our Fight Game Podcast uh, Facebook group is we have people from all across mm-hmm. the U.S. in that group. And and uh, some folks in Canada, some folks in uh, in the U.K., and it's it's really amazing to see how everyone's lifestyle is is different and and you know some folks are from major cities you know the bay area very busy and sort of dense um you know new york city very dense like lots of lots of struggles in in new york city but other places where you know the the shelter in place rules probably Maybe don't even necessarily need to happen as much in in other places, but you know to see all of what everybody is going through, like you know it is a, it is a good opportunity to just sort of step back and go like you know I'm dealing with my stuff and and, and I'm doing a good job with it. How how can I help somebody else or send them some some comfort or you know get online with them or something and just make sure that they're doing okay. And and I think that's what, you know, it, this is a, a perfect time to do that. You know, we're all stressed out. Every I think everybody's stress levels are probably raised a, a bit and, and, you know, and, and it's a, excellent time for for you to to anybody to reach out to to folks and just see how they're doing because you know we don't know unless we had like i like you know you and i talk you know at least in in social media like every other day and i had no idea what was going on well so, i i didn't want to make a know, big deal that, about it because it is just a week compared to people who've been furloughed for you know for you know who knows when they'll return to work or people just lost jobs completely so to i don't want to really complain about it because that much it's just um it's not about the the week off for me even though every dollar counts for a family of five you know household of five but the fact that how things were handled and you know i thought a little more especially when i found some more information today which really <laughs> kind of put me over the top so so you know I, that's, that's what alcohol's for so i'm doing all right today and and we're going to get to some of this some of these other struggles with with jobs and stuff in a second here but before we do I uh, just want to shout out our YouTube channel because one of my projects when we decided to uh, come to the Blue Wire family, I wanted uh, some older podcasts projects that uh, that we had done on the website. Uh, Doing and myself, you know, it's, it's like five years ago we started this project, which was the uh, the Four Kings. Marvin Hagler, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Thomas Hearns. We did podcasts on each one of their fights with each other. I believe there was nine fights. And then we did an epilogue, uh, or maybe it was eight fights, and and, and the ninth podcast was an epilogue. Um, and, and so that, when we moved over to Blue Wire, those podcasts did not move over with us because my intention was to put those on YouTube so that we could always just have them on the YouTube channel. And, and I was kind of like... You know, not that I lagged on it, but it just wasn't a high priority for for me. And then uh, our our buddy, the great Robert Silva, reminded me that uh, the 35th anniversary to Hagler Hearns, one of the greatest fights of all time, was coming. And I was like, oh, I need to get those podcasts on YouTube. So the entire series of the Fabulous Four podcast that Duan and I did, and, you know, Duan and I had started and stopped, and it probably took us uh, two and a half years to get through all of that stuff when our original goal was to get them done in, like, about a year. But those are all on YouTube. I put together the playlist where they're all in order. So, you know, the sound is, is kind of interesting because we were using older technology and we didn't have the sound thing perfected yet. So, you know, 
but you know, it's 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 listenable. You 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 can definitely uh, you can definitely hear it. But check that out if you are into the history, the boxing history stuff. And also, speaking of Robert, he posted a uh, 35th anniversary post about that fight and just his memories and, and, and rewatching it and stuff. So that is uh, on Fight Game Media. Uh, and, you know, coming soon is going to be a facelift to Fight Game Media. So got some things uh, in the hopper. You know, got some uh, good writers like our buddy uh, Justin Nipper. Um, I may start doing a little bit more writing. I may may tap John for some historical memories. Uh, but we're going to do a redesign and a facelift on the website. So that'll be coming hopefully fairly soon. We'll see. I've been I've been kind of doing some work on that and getting things in order. Um and yeah, so that you know, that's kind of uh, that's kind of where we are with catching up with stuff. And so I guess you know we should we might as well get into it. The big big news of the week, and it's been you know WWE just in general, Vince McMahon, they have been just dropping bombs these last few days, uh, and it started. We talked about it last week. Uh, I think we talked about it last week with the XFL. Uh, they they canceled the whole thing. Like it wasn't just canceling one season uh, because of the, uh, the the pandemic, but they canceled the whole thing. You know, Vince McMahon. Um, it was I think it was pretty well publicized that he had taken out money for three years to kind of run this thing, and and by the end of the three years, you know, they would they would be ready to hopefully sign a, a TV deal that would allow them to continue running the XFL. Uh, and, you know, and, and maybe making money on it. So when when they dropped the XFL, my original thought was, I wonder if like they're using the pandemic thing as an excuse and it was just not doing as well as they wanted. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows necessarily. But just the fact that he had the money for three years was kind of what made me wonder a little bit now. Does he want to lose money for that half year and then he's got to pay for the full year when he didn't even get the games? Who knows, you know, as far as his TV deal is concerned when it came to that. I know they are only paying uh, for production. But then without knowing how season two was going to work out, like there's there's mystery and maybe he's just like, look, we've got to cut our losses. It's just not not going to work out. Wh- whatever that decision was, I, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, the, the whole the whole project w- was shut down after Vince was so adamant that he he was going to be able to do this and, and he was going to prove people wrong who, you know, the XFL was a joke for for the year when they when they ran it in in um, 2000 or whenever that was. And so they were trying to rewrite a wrong. And, you know, some of this was uh, definitely out of his control. So when that happened, uh, I did not know that it was going to be the beginning of a lot of stuff for for that company. So they shut down. And then uh, early this week, the the uh, I think I think it's this week because uh, the day is just like it's just like one long yeah, day. All just like mushes together. We're, my wife and I were oh my just God. talking about that right now. Right before we jumped on the right before I jumped on the podcast, we we're just talking about well, like what a day is it? <laughs> you know, crazy. I know it's crazy. And so so then um, it comes out that uh, the XFL uh, was going to declare bankruptcy. They have they owe money to uh, a lot of folks. Um, some of that that money is, you know, upwards of close to a million dollars to pay some of these coaches that they had. Uh, other chunks were smaller chunks of money. Like I think I saw a photographer who 
the XFL owed $1,000 who did not get paid and instead uh, is on the list for bankruptcy. And so in the back of my mind, I thought, wow, you know, this dude had three years of money and he's not going to, you know, pay them out. Like, and look, this is bankruptcy is a thing. Like there's a reason why you can do it. And, you know, I don't know if it's the Trump playbook, whatever it is. Like, I don't know enough about it to really be intelligently speaking about this. But it was just odd to me that, you know, he had this cushion and it lasted a half a season and now he's declared bankruptcy. So that happened. And then uh, this is on the news that came out late last week, which was that WWE was going to run live again. And that was sort of shocking because you have, you know, all of these other sports entities um, unable to run or just deciding not to run. Like, But the UFC, right? Like Dana White's like desperate to run. And it's like, oh, Vince got it all figured out. And it turns out that, you know, WWE in Florida is an essential business. And so they can they can now run. And, you know, I don't know how much this has to do with it. I know there's lots of theories about, you know, why, you know, there's there, there may be a little quid pro quo action going on. But Linda McMahon, uh, you know, it, basically there was a pro Donald Trump um million or whatever from this for the super PAC that it was sort of known like right at that same time that 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 was happening. So, you know, for Florida and and hey, you know, the the two things like they they seem to make sense together. So the the reason why I thought the uh, running live was actually while. I mean, from a health perspective, it doesn't sound great, especially after the the COVID-19 positive that came out that they that they have had that they had. But at least I was like, okay, so if they're sure that they're going to get their TV money, then the talent is going to be fine because these TV contracts are so big that they don't really have to worry. You know, the talent shouldn't have to worry. They're all they'll all be okay, And there won't necessarily be layoffs or furloughs or any of that stuff. And so when I was sort of doing the the thought process there, I was like, okay, this sounds a little shady, but at the very least business can run the way business can run. And, and in, in a sense, you know, Vince McMahon built his company to be sort of, uh, I guess you, you could say, um, I don't know exactly what the right term is, but you know, he, he the, the concern was always that the rise of, of WWE was based on a star or two stars. And then all of a sudden that person blows up and, and then, you know, there's some leverage. And then without that person, maybe business goes down, but WWE is just a juggernaut because of the TV deal. And they're not reliant on any particular wrestler as far as <clears throat> their, you know, their, their bottom line. And so uh, the fact that they did that, I was like, okay. And then the bottom just dropped out of that mindset yesterday when a lot of talent got laid off as well as producers got furloughed, though, you you know, the the furlough only works if you're a full-time employee. So if those producers were full-time employees, then the furlough happens. And if they were not full-time employees, I don't know what happens mm-hmm. there. So, you know, just some, some, some thought there. 
Um, and then, you know, like literally the bottom fell out. And I was so frustrated because I sort of gave them the benefit of the doubt, thinking that Vince was a step ahead and didn't want to lose that TV deal. So, you know, he was a little, <clears throat> he was a little, uh, yeah, I guess, didn't, didn't want that, didn't want to be double crossed by the TV deal, I guess, was a little weirded out by that. And, and so now I feel like an idiot because they <laughs> kept the, they got the TV, the, you know, the TV thing is secure and they still cut guys and they still uh, furloughed producers. And, you know, as far as we know, there's other stuff that has happened that we are not, we are, we are not aware of, but I just felt like an idiot thinking that I was giving them the benefit of the doubt for being so smart in thinking of that, that the talent was going to be completely thought, thought of. And <clears throat> some of them weren't and they, they were cut. And it sounds like, you know, I don't know if anybody knows for sure, but, you know, it has nothing to do with whether or not they're going to be able to succeed because they have so much money. But, you know, they're so worried about Wall Street and they're worried about projections and revenue targets and profits and all this. And, you know, I, I, I guess, <laughs> you know, I, I, guess, I guess that's the way I should have expected it. But, yeah, pretty frustrated because, <clears throat> excuse me, I, uh, <clears throat> I, I felt sort of naive to the fact that, of course, this is what was going to happen. And it kind of caught me off guard. So what were your thoughts when you saw <clears throat> that uh, he was calling the meeting and all the talent, uh, when, the, when the the names that, that started, you know, mm -hmm. they started dropping? Um, yeah, I didn't dive too deep, like as you did, but um, I it, I just felt bad for everyone who be, who's being laid off and who's been furloughed. And it's just a sad time. And so it's like, the, I think personally, my personal opinion is that this is the wrong time to do something like this. If, you know, maybe they could have, if they really did want to unload talent or save money here and there, maybe, maybe it could have been done at a later date than now. I don't, I, don't, I just think <clears throat> I, I completely that's all, agree with That's all I wish like, they did. Like if they were going like to do Like laying that, off yeah. talent and et cetera, it's just happens in the wrestling business. Nothing is guaranteed in pro wrestling. Unfortunately, I mean, some guys can have long careers. I mean, look at Zack Ryder. He had 14 years. You know, and that's all a very long time in a, in any wrestling company, right? So, um, I did look at. I mean, I look at it as like creative. I look at like like my mind works all creative with creative when it comes to wrestling. So I look at like the list. And I think like, well, who should have been cut because or who like you could do without as a, as a creatively right, and who she should have kept. And I mean, at that list, I personally only saw like basically four people that I thought like maybe they shouldn't have cut. And those four people were Rusev, um, Anderson and Gallows. And I thought, um, and Drake, it's funny, uh, Drake Maverick too, because um, I kind of look at him as a personality that a very versatile character beyond just the ring. He's actually a really good worker, but personality wise, you can use him in many different things like they did, like a commissioner of 205 Live, etc., a manager or a wrestler. So I just look at people like that. Uh, but a lot of people on the list were either been there for a long time and they've probably exhausted all create creative with them and i can see them letting it go now ma now imagine if there's no COVID 19 and we're having shows um we would definitely have layoffs after wrestlemania because it just happens all the time in the wwe um i know they've been keeping people longer because of you know avoiding competition with aew but you know it's just, i just wished 
for everyone's sake, this could have happened in the summertime or, or maybe never happened. They, they could just kept them, but it's just a really bad situation all around. And, uh, you know, I know people will jump on WWE too. And, and maybe rightfully so in certain, certain cases, but it just, it just sucks, man. I just, I just feel bad for the talent. I was afraid for, you know, there's a lot of announcements that probably not even made yet of talent. And, yeah. you know, I'm sure yeah. NXT is going to go through a lot of cuts. I, I, you know, me, I'm, I've talked about this on the show before. I'm a big fan of NXT UK. They're not taping mm-hmm. anything. No. Now I'm pretty sure the top stars are, of that brand is, are going to be, you know, saved. I mean, they're not going to cut Walter, Pete Dunn, uh, uh, Jordan Devlin, Tony Storm, etc. But, you know, the, trying to pick a, a team or uh you know the undercard talent that's on that show like what happens to them you know and if they're not running shows it's just that sucks you know because i thought they had a really cool thing going they're building up to a nice takeover and uh, i just kind of hope uh i hope nothing like that happens but i kind of see that forthcoming and and there's a lot of nxt talent. i mean there's so many people signed to nxt that are not even used on tv and and you know there's people just training that they signed or you know it could be expendable you know at certain athletes um so we'll see who they keep with that and it just sucks all around like i said it's bad timing for everything this whole i just read like harley davidson's <laughs> closed plants and let people go and it's like wow harley davidson you know it's this big american institution and and it's just it's just 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 this freaking sucks I mean, my wife and i talk about it all the time now this just absolutely fucking sucks excuse my french so, you know, to some extent, I think a lot of businesses who may be struggling in 2020, they probably do need to do those things so that they don't go out of business. I don't know what Harley Davidson's mm-hmm. books yeah. look like, but I would imagine, you know, I, I, they still have a really strong brand. But, I, I you know, I, I wonder what sales are like today compared to 20 years ago or 30 years ago or whatever. But WWE was built for this. Because they have, they figured out the game, today's game, you know, almost almost taken to an extent from real sports, which is the, the TV deals. And they're, and they're so smart about that. You know, they, they've taken their lumps on TV deals in the past, too, where they, they thought that their product was actually worth more than the networks did. And, and so then, then they kind of took their lumps there. But, you know, in, in this day and age... The they they Vince McMahon and, and company have figured out that ball game. So if anybody is bulletproof through this scenario in the entertainment business, it's WWE because a they okay. So I, I always use this point, and I used it with uh, my my uh, my buddies uh, Ben Cruz and Jeremy Los on uh, the, the two jabronis with a podcast. I was a guest on there uh, last night. And if you haven't, ch- you know, check out their show. They, they do good stuff. They actually, uh, Ben even put it on uh, YouTube because we use Zoom. So if you, if you enjoy the visual aspect of, of that, it's up there. But I was telling, you know, they're, they're sports fans and, and basketball fans and stuff. And Ben um, works as a producer on a, on a Warriors podcast. And so I was kind of comparing because, you know, his audience is, is very aware of basketball, too. So I was like, look, you know, the NBA, when it comes to the basketball related income, the players get 50 percent of that pie. WWE, the wrestlers, the talent, they get 8 percent of the pie from WWE. So WWE 
they're so built for this a because they don't pay the talent what the other the other sports have to pay and some and that, a lot of that is because you know the other sports you know they're 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 unionized and all that but secondary because they don't pay the talent as much money as these other sports they are swimming in cash and so if if uh, you know what what is the thing that they can't do as a company today that they could do before the pandemic well they could run houses um, though, you know, if you're, if you're not doing raw or a pay-per-view, they're probably even, or maybe running house shows at a loss. So, you know, that's that, you know, obviously the, uh, people are, are going to be a little bit, um, less with, with free spending these days. So maybe network buys are down merch, I'm sure is way down and WrestleMania, you know, the gate, you didn't get a gate for WrestleMania, because of of what happened. And that's also, you know, a huge money earner for them. But, you know, those things considered, the way that Vince has built that company, which essentially prints cash, like they like they they could have they could have gone like two and a half years, three years without running and probably would still be way ahead of the game. So that's the other part what frustrates me. And maybe some will say, well, that's why they're in the spot that they are, because he's that cutthroat and he's that ruthless and he's that hardcore on his books. And so be it. Like, that's not for me to judge uh, as far as how he runs his business. But from an outside perspective, looking in, you know, we are all fans. And here's another thing that's so interesting. And and I don't know how you feel about this, because um, Vince, we, we, we see Vince as a character as well as kind of the president uh, of the WWE. But if you look at like uh, pro sports, like, you know, the owners of an NFL team, you know, Jerry Jones, um, the owner of the Warriors is, is a guy by the name of Joe Lacob. Like, I like Joe Lacob. Do I like Joe Lacob more than I like Steph Curry or Clay Thompson or Draymond Green? Like, absolutely, like, no way. But a lot of WWE fans, they look at Vince McMahon as like such a kingmaker that they love siding with the executives or the office in, in Russell speak in this sense over the talent. Like, cause I see a lot of comments where people are like, ah, oh, like these guys make a lot of money, so they should be fine. Even if they lost their jobs, it's mm-hmm. like, mm, I don't know how much I money will, these guys I will are say that I know talent's better, a lot better at saving money now than they was in the past. This is sure. This is sure. 80s. This has been horrible for these guys that just blew money like left and right. But, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I don't know how you look at it as far as like, I, I know you're, I know you have friends who are uh, are wrestlers, were wrestlers, you grew up in the business too, you understand both sides of the game, but I just find it so crazy that people are just so willing to go like, yep, I, you know, I'm with Vince, like he, whatever he says goes, and I'm like, okay, but like, what about these wrestlers who you're cheering for every week and you know, you, you, aren't you a little empathetic towards them? And, and I guess, you know, some people are, but I just, I just find that point to be. Yeah. And I was thinking a lot too, like a lot of the producers that were furloughed, like you think about the live events producers, like there's no live events for them to produce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I, my wife and I were just talking about this, like we're, you know, cause you know, uh, the news now is like slowly opening up the economy. Right. And, um, 
you know, each governor is going to have the power to when they're going to reopen and all that. And I was, we we're just talking about stuff and I was like, I think like just entertainment's going to suffer the most, you know, when it comes to if we, when we reopen, cause personally for me, like I have no desire to go to a baseball game right now. Like if this is ever to open up, I have no desire to be in a big stadium. I have no desire to sit in a movie theater this year. You know, I mean, I know this is me personally, but I bet there's a lot of other people like like that too, you know, that think that way. Like until we feel comfortable to socialize in big groups, like I, until I feel like there's a vaccine or something like that, I kind of like, maybe we'll be taking 2020 off and, and just, you know. I, look, I'm someone who's supposed yeah, to be married this know, year, right? <laughs> We're supposed so, to do, be in a wedding, and uh, my daughter's uh, kids are supposed to be in a wedding on, in July, too. I don't think about that. I'm like, God, is that even going to happen, you know? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, it's it's tough. Like, we're like we're wondering ourselves and how much money we're going to lose on the wedding because, you know, you, you plan weddings out far in advance. And, you know, we invited upwards of, like, 200. Now, I will make your, I will make your wedding, Garrett. Don't worry about this. I'm just saying... <laughs> I'm just saying, like, there's something about being in this, like, just uh, being in Levi Stadium right now. Like, I just can't. Oh, no, no, yeah. no, no, I get, I, I, I totally, I think there's a lot of people like you, um, you know, and, and again, you know, we, we've already said this before, but, you know, we look at ourselves as kind of, you know, the head of the household or whatever, or, you know, the protector yeah, of yeah. the family. And so when you think in that mentality, you're going to be more conservative for stuff like that because you're not, it's not YOLO mm-hmm. time, right? It's not, it's not like, ah, you know, I, you, know you got to live like it's your last day. Like, no, like we, we have a family to take care of. So anyways, I, we can move on from that, from that topic. I know that was a little heavy and I didn't want to be too negative. I want it to be as unbiased about the situation as possible because I think think, um, you know, WWE clearly uh, comes across to the public eye as the heel here. And I wanted to, you know, make sure that we were covering it from, you know, all sides and, and giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. But I still I still am, am pretty passionate about my thoughts of, of, of this being a, a super frustrating situation. So uh, we're going to go, go to a quick break, uh, do a read for, for our friends at Bet Online, and then we will come back and, and just, uh, I want to get your thoughts, you know, so you can kind of noodle on this. You, you mentioned the four people who you, who you thought WWE probably should not have let go. And now I want to see who your top five list is of folks who AEW should pick up. All right, let's talk about our friends at Bet Online. You guys have heard me talk about Bet Online many times. Like I said, they are a predominant sponsor for us in 2020. There's no NBA, there's no live sports. We just talked about it. There's no WWE events, there's no UFC events, at least for now. And like, you know, right now, no crowds are going to be for a while, but. We'll see. UFC is thinking about running uh, soon, and, and we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, so you might think there's nothing to bet on, but you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack. They're bringing Vegas to you. And I'm really sad because AEW Double or Nothing officially got shut down. So my tickets for uh, AEW Double or Nothing in Vegas roll over to 2021. So it's going to be another. Another year before I get back to Vegas. Anyways, so you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. It's actually a pretty creative idea there. You can also bet on Survivor, which has been just 
it's been giving uh, Crystal and I life. This uh, season's so great. Uh, Big Brother, American Idol, which American Idol is actually going to do their live shows and the people have to sing from their house and they're going to get voted on. So that's crazy. Stock prices and even the uh, hot dog eating contest. Um, All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online. Your online wagering solution. Still thinking about betting on that hot dog eating contest or what? (laughs) <laughs> well, so I, I kind of was, I was looking at the odds and, you know, Joey Chestnut, mm-hmm. I guess he's like, like he's the favorite. So like, if you bet on him, you actually, you know, you have to bet a lot of money on him to win anything. So I decided against it, but you know, we'll talk about this in a second. The, the March, the uh, May 9th UFC show, uh, that is, uh, that is supposedly coming. Uh, I will definitely be putting some stuff on that. So I'm waiting for that. So, but before we get to UFC, Give me your top five of who AEW should have their eye on. And this is, I'm already assuming that the Revival will be in at some point. So those guys don't have to be in your list. I'm just talking exclusively from this list of cuts that WWE made. I'm on the list that they made. um, Off the bat, I think uh, uh, Rusev will be my number one. I just think he's uh has still has a lot to give to the wrestling business and he's such a talented guy and um proved he has such a big personality at that he is in my opinion a main event talent. So I definitely would uh swoop him up if 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 they if they can, you know, right away. Um Gallows and Anderson would be, you know, perfect guys to pick up. I do assume that they'll be back in New Japan. Um but they could also cut one of those deals where they, you know, they they're they're working for both, like a like a John Moxley can do or Chris Jericho can do. So I can see something like that happening. Um, Eric Rowan is a guy I would pick up. Um, more guys with size, I still think that company needs. Um, I really liked Rowan a lot. Um, I would be on the fence with him if I was working with the WWE. And then like this, they gave him this list, and it'd be hard to like maybe come up with something for him at this time because he's been doing a lot. But I would push for something because I think I could come up with something for him. But um, I think that. You know he's he's a really good talented guy. Like this last year, he proved he's a lot to his work has great greatly improved. Um, he's always kind of like people was like Bray Wyatt. Then you thought about Luke Harper. Then there's Eric Rowan, right? But I thought like he did a great job when he's teaming Brian. Um, showed a lot of personality, and he had a great few matches with uh with Roman Reigns. They had that that program. I really liked those matches, so I would definitely pick him up. And there's that connection with uh, Brody Lee that you can you could kind of play off of and, and do stuff like that. This is actually an easier question. You told me who would I fire from, uh, get rid of from AW. <laughs> the five people I've just re- released right now. Um, no. Um, but uh, yeah, those are kind of like the, I guess I have one more, right? I think EC3 would be a guy that should, you know, be picked up and, you know, um, I don't know if he fits their in-ring style but you need variety i don't want to see everyone wrestle like you know the young bucks or kenny omega i think if you have a guy like ec3 who's a big personality great look um i always liked him so i think i think he would fit well there and add some add some variety to the show there are two other guys that i think one of them is a huge risk but if he could get his act together the reward is also high um, and he probably has uh, a, a little bit of humble pie to eat here, who is Leo mm-hmm. Rush. And, you know, when I went to that last NXT show, 
uh, he wrestled Angel Garza. I thought Leo Rush was the best guy in the whole show. And, and, and that's not to say he's the best performer consistently, but just on that specific show, I thought he was the best performer. So, you know, there, there's there's a lot of risk with him, right? Because he's he's maybe not the most mature mm-hmm. guy, at least as far as we, we, we've we heard. Um, you know, says the wrong thing at the wrong time sometimes. But um, just from a talent perspective, like he's really, really talented. And I think the other guy now, now this the other the risky thing about this is he's got that WWE low card stench on him, which is Zack Ryder. Now, the flip side on Zack Ryder is he's always been so much more popular than his push. And some of that is the fact that people just are going to latch on to an underdog here and there. But if you parallel Zack Ryder and like someone like Dolph Ziggler, who's also been there a long time, like Ziggler will be given chance time and time and time and time and time again. And look, Ziggler's good. I I, I got sick of him, but he's 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 really good. Zack Ryder is not the. You know, maybe the, the the WWE or the Vince McMahon version of the chick magnet like Dolph Ziggler would be, though Zack Ryder is a really attractive uh, lady there. Uh, but but you know he he's a little goofier. He's maybe you know just he loves wrestling figures and and stuff like that, right? So, uh, but there is a, an opportunity for him one because he and Cody are, are really tight, but two he's always been. Uh, cheered for louder than necessarily where he was on the card. So I think there's some value to that. I, I do worry about that uh, that WWE stench on him, though. Well, just he's been on the mid card for so long, and the same thing. He's like he probably the same how you feel about Sean Spears, right? Like I mean, I like Sean Spears as a wrestler. I think he's technically really good. I just don't see him as a main event guy, just because he hasn't been the main event guy in WWE. He had a little, little moment there as the, the perfect 10, but you know, I don't, when he's on AEW TV, other than that, I mean, I like, I like him personally, but I just don't see him as anything like even a match with Cody, right? His match with Cody for the tournament for the TNT championship. I thought like, man, Cody's being so giving to try to get this guy over, you know, to make this like this epic match. But I feel like, I feel like he should beat him a lot quicker, you know, and, and, and not mm-hmm. you know, go through tables and et cetera, et cetera. Like he should be beating, he shouldn't have this hard of a time versus a Sean Spears, you know, it may be like a guy that's higher on the card, but for Sean Spears, he should, you know, beat him fairly, fairly quickly, you know, less than eight minutes or something like that. Like, but, but, you know, you know, Cody, he's very giving, but I think at the same time, Cody has to understand his value as a main eventer and when you work main event matches you there's certain guys you work main event matches and there's certain guys you don't but that's just my opinion but um i wonder if zach Ryder would be the same thing like i'll see zach Ryder in there in AEW, and i'm sure he will be there but i also think zach Ryder could probably he seems like a guy he's probably very smart with his money he's also have other things going i think he'd have a really successful youtube show um that you know but and i also think like you know he Maybe he, there's this way that they can run it. Because I still think a lot of those people on that list may be hired back down the road. Um, um, they're going to still need guys. WWE is going to need guys to fill out live events. I mean, Kurt Hawkins comes back because they need guys to fill out you know uh, live events. I don't know if Kurt Hawkins would come back, but I, I could see a, a Zack Ryder coming back for, for something like that. You know, you know, Randy Orton is not on the road all the time, etc. You know, so they need these bodies to fill those live event cards, and so I think some of these people that were let go will 
will find their way back into the WWE. And I think Sarah Logan will find her way back into WWE. I, you know, I think, I think someone like that. Um, so, I mean, but who knows how long this this wave will last? Like I said, like I, like I, for me personally, I don't expect to go any kind of major live event, sporting events anytime soon for 2020. But like, if they maybe there's somehow some way they start running shows, you know, they'll they'll still need people to fill those cards out. All right, so the uh, you know we've talked a lot about WWE, but there's another company that is also trying to desperately run, and that is UFC. There's a rumored card for May 9th, and you know with Vince already getting uh, the ability to use uh, to 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 run in Florida, I think I think the the rule is if you uh, have live television. Um, you you can you can run in in Florida, so that you know if the UFC needs a place to run, I think the Hard Rock was was what I heard that that was the place. Uh, and the other thought is maybe the uh, Nevada loosens up a little bit, and by March 9th that the UFC will be able to run in Nevada, it, uh, obviously empty arena because they have their Apex Gym. So listen to this card. Now this is a, a targeted card, and you know, really, we're just talking about what the news is today. But as we know from the past few weeks, every time Dana tries to do something, it gets taken away from him, and then he blames the MMA media and, and all that. So you know, th- this is as of tonight, you know, Thursday, April nineteenth. Then when you and I are recording, Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje, Henry Cejudo and Dominic Cruz. Amanda Nunez and uh, Felicia Spencer, Francis Ngannou and uh, Rosenstruck, Jeremy Stevens and Calvin Qatar, which is an insane fight, Cerrone and Pettis, and other folks like Greg Hardy, Fabrizio Verdum, Carla Esparza, Michelle Waterson, Jacques Uriah Hall, like tons of guys and and girls on this show. Um, Yeah, like this is supposedly... The card that he would want to do if if he was able to do now, I, I mean, maybe some of this should be like spread out a little bit if he if he can run more frequently. And look, if Dana White runs more frequently uh, and need and has a minimum of TV dates that he needs to fill, we're going to see multiple UFC shows a week. Like this is not only going to be on the weekend. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's, that's the card. And, and look, you know, if, if this is the, if this is a pay-per-view card, uh, as, as much as, you know, I have decreed and been frustrated and, you know, just been like, dude, just, you know, chill out, quit lying and quit blaming people. You know, I, my kid is going to want to watch it and I'm going to be like, yep, here's my 60 bucks. Like I will say that. And that's a, a sort of a, a hypocritical statement, but if he's, actually able to run and that show does go off like i'm buying it like that's just that's just the thing you know we cover it so from that perspective you know uh, i'm i'm watching it as a fan i'm a big ufc fan my kid's a big ufc fan we we would want to watch that show so um you know i i would definitely purchase that show and you know it's one of those things where with mma in general i if I haven't watched MMA for a little while, like I desperately want to watch mm-hmm. MMA and it's been a while. We haven't seen a show in a while. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, if, if, if all things are equal and they are 
able to do it. Like I'm interested in that show. So that's going to be uh, that that'll probably if, if it happens, I'm, I'm definitely paying the 60 or 70 bucks or whatever okay, it is. So by your reaction to that, I'm seeing what Dana's seeing. If this is legit, this is the card. He, I think he's saying if we run a show, people will be hesitant to spend money. So we have to load it up. We can't give them one big match and then a bunch of, you know, like they've been doing, right? With these undercards, you know, these shows that are kind of like come and go. They might be one really good match and there's... Yeah, because they yeah, have yeah. so many shows. And granted, I mean, if you're a hardcore fan, then you might know a certain fight on the card. So I'm going to see, but like to the casual audience, like I'm not going to, you know, waste my time watching that card unless there's some big names. This is a lot of well-known names. A lot of people that the casual fans have seen now or are hot now or and talent and put on exciting fights and also some names for the even the, the past like the glory years i guess we want to call them um so i could see hey to get someone to spend 60 bucks we really got to load these up especially in these next if, if it all goes through these next few months or, or weeks to kind of get people to buy in so so yeah i could see i could definitely see that me i might skip it you know because um I want to hold on to my 60 bucks, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, yeah. my wife was asking me about something it's like, well, we want, you know, you know, why don't you treat yourself to something? And I'm like, no, I'm cool. I just don't <laughs> want to treat my, there's just nothing I really want to treat myself to. The, the thing I want to treat myself to, I won't even do it because I feel it's going to be on Disney plus if I ever buy it. And it's a rise of Skywalker. Right, so right, I'm just right, like holding right. out and it's very hard for me. Cause I really like that movie and I really want to watch it again, but I'm holding out to whenever the hell damn Disney plus puts that on you know dad disney puts uh star wars on disney plus anyways so 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 the the one boxing tie-in here is bob arum was very vocal in what dana was trying to do very negative on what dana was trying to do and was just basically like let's just be patient i can't see us running for a while eddie hearn same thing but then i saw a quote now the 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 thing that i will preface this is it, it was a it was a memed quote, right? It, I didn't hear the whole conversation. I just saw one quote, which is Bob Arum saying that he would be interested in doing the empty arena stuff, and it's possible that he could do it out of Vince's building. <laughs> and so, you know, Bob Arum is also you know very very well known for a quote saying that you know yesterday I was lying, but today I'm telling the truth. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But if Bob Arum runs empty arena boxing, I told Doohan that he's got to he's got to find some time so that he and I can can talk about this because Doohan is uh, doing doing it is perfect for for the Bob Arum uh, show that that we would do. But anyways, OK, so uh, last thing before we get to we want flair. Uh, actually, no, two, two more things. So so quickly. Dark Side of the Ring, Jimmy Superfly, Snuka, Nancy Argentina. Uh, you knew you knew most of this story, yeah. I'm sure, because of the Observer and because of Irv Munchnik and all that stuff. Uh, but what did you think about their presentation of this story? Uh, it's, I feel like this this is another show that needed two hours. If you really want to dive deep into everything, uh, my wife was glued. Katrina was glued to the story. Um, I said, "Hey, I got. I'm gonna probably review this for the show. You want to watch with me?" And she thought like the dark side of the ring was just a Chris Benoit story. She didn't know about the New Jack story. She didn't know about Brawl for All. And she saw this. She's like, "Another wrestler killed his wife." And I'm like, "No, well, you know, we'll just watch it." And um, we just at the end, we both talked, and we're just like, we just feel so sad for her family and 
you know, losing a sister and losing a daughter. So we're just, we're kind of talking about that. And she just can't, like, you know, from her perspective, like, how could he be allowed to wrestle again? You know, like, how could, you know, and I was trying to explain to her, if, you know, about, you know, things back then and there's, you know, cover ups and all that. And he's a huge star drawing big money. And, you know, and there's, you know, there's, you know, you know, she just didn't really couldn't wrap her mind around that. She thought, you know, how can, and even I re- revisiting it, like, gosh, how could, you know, who, how can this be swept under, you know, for all these years? And at the end, no justice. My, my buddy Oliver John had a, the best line of day. We were talking, he's like, saw Dark Side of the Ring. Spoiler, Jimmy Snooker died. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? You gotta know my buddy Oliver John does kind of get that humor, but um, it's just it's a sad story. I don't know. It was just, but I think this happened so recently. I kind of like I already knew the story, so it wasn't. Uh, what'd you think? Did you like it, or should it be more? Um, I like this type of type of show more than I like uh, a brawl for all or a New Jack kind of show where they are having to tell this tall tale and mm-hmm. and so it's up to us to determine what's bs and what's not bs and in this instance you had um you know the person who who looked like bs is like oh, oh cop, my god the cop who, you know i mean the guy's like staring up to the right and like he trying to pull words you know to to talk because he doesn't know what to say like that guy looked like a creep but for the most part you know it's just journalists and it's you know i, I don't know exactly why don morocco was on there i'm not sure if he was needed um but uh, tonga kid uh and 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 the only the only thing that is kind of hard when you do these pieces is i'm sure when when they ask tonga kid questions he's answering it and he has no idea that his answers are going to actually be used mm-hmm uh against snooka right because he's just telling his story and he's just like ah jimmy's the greatest jimmy can never hurt anybody but some of the quotes that he had actually did not look good for jimmy because it showed that maybe jimmy was lying and jimmy's not telling the whole story so that's kind of a hard part for me when you're kind of doing honest uh honest work now i'm not saying that they're not but it's just it's just that style where you're looking for contradictions and when you see one like you have to use it because you're telling the you want to tell the story and prove you know whatever whatever the point is in the story so i thought that was uh i thought that was interesting um, not a good week uh, for Vince, but they didn't really hammer Vince that much on this. Like I thought they could have, you know, if, if they really wanted to. Uh, you know, Jimmy wrote in his book that Vince basically, you know, was like a magician and made it go away. So uh, they didn't really harp on that too much, and I thought they they were. But um, you know, the, I thought I thought uh, I mean, you know, maybe the the star of the whole thing, if, if there is a star in this kind of thing, was uh, Snuka's yeah, wife. Like, I thought she was very fair. Very fair. Um, yes. And, and you know, she was uh, didn't seem like she was protecting. She seemed like a very normal, thoughtful person. And I really enjoyed her perspective. Yeah, I think she was probably one of the most genuine people on the on the document, for sure. And, yeah, that, no, yeah, definitely. That, that surprised me. I thought for sure when they when she first got on screen and they, they, they said who she was, like, okay, this is going to be interesting. But, no, she was, she was very honest. And, you know, I appreciate that. Is that, is that, Tim, is that Tamina's mom? I just good question. I was, you know, she was, we're trying to figure out, I don't know how many times this guy's been married, you know, cause he had a wife before yeah. and then he was cheating on her with, you know, probably Nancy and a few others, you know? So, and, uh, it's a sad, sad story of our, 
or love professional wrestling, right? Yeah, I, I don't think this was Tamina's mom. I think I think uh, Tamina's mom was maybe after her. Actually, I'm not sure. I, I, yeah. Who knows? I, I wish I, I wish they would have uh, they would have connected the dots for us. But oh well. Um, so uh, so yeah. Oh yeah. It, it does look. I mean, we'll see if uh, Wikipedia is correct. But it looks like. Um, Sharon would have been maybe Deuce and Tamina's mom. And then Carol, who was the woman that that we saw, she had married him more recently, like maybe 16 years ago when he was already, you know, he was already in his 50s by then. So I think I think that's that's what it looks like, at least uh, if I'm doing math correctly. Um, okay, so uh, last thing before we get to We Want Flair and, and listen, We Want Flair is packed. So. Uh, I got uh, Big Dave Meltzer to talk about the Hogan and Flair house show run that John and I talked about last week. Dave was actually at the the first uh, the Oakland house show, and he talked about like why things didn't work and 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 the reason uh, that at least his his uh, thoughts on 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 the reasons why. And then after that, we're going to bring on uh, my buddy Brandon Draven from the K Fabulous Lucha Brothers podcast. I did the WrestleMania 36 preview with Big D. He and Draven do that do that uh, KLB podcast, um, and so he's going to talk specifically about the Royal Rumble. Like he knows this match up and back and and by heart, and we talk about that. And then you and I will come back and talk about sort of post Royal Rumble uh, up until. WrestleMania, so how the matches happen and and, and how Hogan uh, and Sid Justice and Flair and Savage uh, come to be, even though as kids we were juked and and thinking it was going to be Hogan and Flair. But uh, before we get to that, I just want your thoughts on the stuff that you watched this week. Uh, I will say I did not watch Raw at all. Um, I listened to it and I kind of read the recaps of it, but I didn't watch any of it. Uh, also when it came to AEW, I had it on in the background when I was doing other stuff. I did not like the main event, uh, just, you know, for the same reasons why I don't like a lot of the empty arena wrestling. Cause it's so long. Um, the matches are so long sometimes Jericho, I thought was really fun on commentary. It was just fun for me to hear Jericho and Tony goof around. And I had fun with that stuff. Um, and as far as NXT is concerned, um, for me, it was it was Thatcher. I didn't really care. I mean, Finn Balor uh, is such a cool character. I, I like seeing him uh, with uh, with the dream. Uh, but other than that, like, you know, I, I, I wasn't super invested in, in anything. And I, I didn't really think anything was super fantastic or enough to take me off of what I was doing otherwise. But, you know, it was just in the background. And for, for me, for now... I think that's okay. Um, I, you know, I need I need to pull back a little bit because I I, I was burnt out. Mm-hmm. I was burnt out on uh, post WrestleMania. We talked about this last week, and and so I'm gonna be okay with kind of the wrestling on in the background. And most of my time with with watching the shows is gonna be just kind of keeping up with them, so we can talk about the shows with our our, our pals in the in the Facebook group for the Fight Game Podcast. And um, and just, you know, for this show, like I'll keep an eye on them, uh, but I'm not going to be invested like I was before the shutdown where, you know, I was waking up super early so that I could watch some of these shows, you know, all the way through and pay attention and and take notes. I'm not going to do that right now because it just doesn't feel worthy of that or of my time to fully invest. 
to to no to no fault of, of the talent in any way. It's just the the actual empty wrestling, empty arena wrestling stuff for me. But um, I know you watched. I know you watched um, much more intently than I did. So what was some of the good stuff from this? Um, week? I thought overall NXT was a really good show. I, mean, I remember I remember like it moved really fast for me. Like I remember like those those two hours really breezed by. I mean, of course I'm I'm watching on a site with delay, so it was a fast forward. But like you know the match the matches all were pretty good. Um, you know me. Um, a little invested because Tim Thatcher debuted on this show and that was a little goosebump moment, but also very a sad moment because I'm like, God, this would have been a huge reaction. That that was the other reason why I was a little frustrated is because I wanted to watch that match in the way mm-hmm. that we should have yeah, had to watch yeah. that match. And I would have been so jazzed for but that. But, you know, the match was, was, was good, really good. Um, I like, you know, Tim's amazing. Maybe he didn't play towards his strengths. And I know that sounds kind of weird because they had a good match. But I think, like, in, you know, in the next week, weeks and months, you're going to see – Tim as Tim, and I think it's going to be some really good stuff. Um, I like Balor and Fabian Art and Fabian Eichner. I thought that was good. Um, that was some good stuff. Um, I really, I really enjoyed NXT show. Really went moved the positive. I thought the Charlotte Flair promo was freaking phenomenal. I just really enjoyed that that promo. Um, that was my favorite stuff on NXT. Uh, AEW. My favorite stuff was the build to the main event. With usually, I thought it was great. They use Air Hawani. They use Big John McCarthy, Mike Goldberg. All the belt bell workers, yeah. they, they, they leveraged that working agreement they have with them and th- that friendship they have. So I thought that was really good stuff. I, re- I mean, that's the stuff I dig, man. And um, I, and then the, the match itself f- lacked some intensity, lacked some... They were doing some cool stuff. Like when it was in the ring, I enjoyed it. The outside of the ring, I didn't enjoy it, which we, I, you think... I kind of would when it comes to like Moxley's forte, but I think it kind of tell wasn't swag, uh, Hager's forte. But we also just saw two matches that were long and that were all out. But I the felt like there's, well. there's like just like this intensity that was missing in most of this match. There was some good stuff in the ring, but like when it came to the brawling, the fighting, I felt like. It was just missing that intensity that you know Edge and Orton had, or or even Gargano and Ciampa had. So, um, oh, speaking of Ciampa, I really like the post the Andy Angle of NXT, the uh, the reveal of Killer Cross, uh, whatever his name. Be. What, what's his name? I, I didn't see a name. Maybe I missed it. But um, attacking Ciampa, that was that was awesome. I thought that was really well done, and and definitely Scarlett's going to be with him. So I, they're going to, and then also I don't know if you saw last show, but you know he was in the car in the parking lot. So yeah, yeah, a lot yeah, of, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. see a lot of people roll. talk about that, but I thought that was kind of cool. So they, like, you know, NXT still doing some cool stuff with that. So um, it was, you know, uh, AEW overall, I thought they had a lot of bad matches. Uh, Sabian and uh, God, who the hell he work was just, was not that good. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> my God. And you know, you really see the weakness of AEW's roster with, with this, you know, not being able to use a lot of talent. Like, where's Jungle Boy, you know, like where's, some of these guys they could be featuring, and uh, just unfortunately they're unable to do it. And um, uh, Sammy Guevara's match with uh, Sugar D, whatever, like that match was wasn't that good. Pineapple Pete, Pete was not that good. Um, <laughs> I thought Archer and Cabana was good, but it could have been shorter. I think uh, Cabana, I mean, Archer sold a little bit too much for Cabana. I know Cabana has, you know, he's a you know well known star, and, and and you know they probably be respectful for him. But I thought like. 
getting a little comeback and being pounced would have been fine. And um, but uh, yeah, and but um, Raw, I watched. I watched Raw actually. Um, I have a quick little story. I want to get. I know we have a lot to go, but so you know, being working from home, I'm you know able to you know sneak this in during the daytime. I kind of go in the bedroom, I watch it. But of course, my daughter Chloe's watching a little more wrestling with dad these days, and she only wants to watch the girl mm-hmm. wrestling. Daddy won't watch the girl wrestling. And so I'm like, well, in this episode, there's three matches, so you have a lot to watch. And we watched the first one, but you know, second match of the women was was Shayna, and she knows Shayna. She knows uh, that I know her, and so I'm like, okay. And she and her like she has this game she plays with me. She wants to pick one of the wrestlers. She wants me to pick the opposite wrestler, and then we were going to see who wins. Right? <laughs> I was nudging her to pick Shayna. <laughs> <laughs> she directly took Shayna. And okay, cool. We're gonna watch this match. I little not know. Of course, I didn't know ahead of time. There was such a very violent, hardcore angle. What happened here with Shayna breaking Sarah Logan's arm? Sarah Logan crying in the ring, and it sounds worse because he's you know there's no crowd. Yep. Let me just say she did not watch the third female match. <laughs> so all night, I had to. She kept asking about this, like, why did she hurt her? Why is that girl crying? Is she okay? And I'm like, and I'm trying not to reveal Santa Claus to her, right? With the wrestling. And, um, you know, I try to kind of get around it. And then she comes back to me late again later at night, the same questions. And Katrina goes, my wife, she goes, yeah, I heard about this. So I go, oh, man, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it was just funny. It was like a funny but kind of awkward, and I feel like ho- like a horrible parent at that point. So I might try to push her away. And she actually came in and watched the. She started watching the Moxley and Hager match with me. And I told her, you know what, this is probably not for your eyes because I didn't know what they were gonna do, and I had to send her away. She was kind of like bummed, but she's like, let me know who wins. I picked the guy in the in the gold pants, which was Hager, and I said, oh god, she's not picking right. She's not picking right. I gotta clue her in. <laughs> Um, the, uh, the, it's, I mean, it's so interesting because usually when you think about raw, you're like, ah, you know, it's not going to be, I did, I did not think, I was like, oh man. And she knows like, she knows that, you know, that who Shana is and the history, you know, as, as much as she can comprehend about the history of her and me. And so she was just like, she's just like, she just like, was like, disappointed on you know honestly really disappointed and um well i can't really tell you more about the story than that but like it was just funny it was just like a, a funny a funny thing so okay so um we can talk about uh the we want flare stuff so uh, i i mentioned what the two segments are i'm gonna run them back to back and so you'll hear big dave then you'll hear a draven and then you and I will come back. So uh, here we go. All right, bringing on Dave here to talk about um, Hogan and Flair's first match at the Oakland Arena. I guess this would technically have been the second match uh, of the uh, of the run because I was reading in the Observer that. Flair and Piper were supposed to do a match at the end of a TV taping in Dayton, but then Hogan and Flair kind of wanted to have like a, a, a practice run, I guess. And so they decided to have a short match in Dayton before the start of the, the actual uh, house show tour. Yeah. I mean, 
Oakland was always billed as the first match. You know, it was Oakland, Los Angeles, and I think Phoenix might have been the third one. Uh, but I remember Oakland, Los Angeles, because those were the ones where we did the gate, like we did a poll of whatever it was, like a, a contest to pick the attendance in the gate for, um, and a lot of WWE guys were even in on it, you know, even um, Patterson uh, did it. Um, you know, as far as like pick attendance and pick the gate for um, for those, for the first, it was the first two nights, it was Oakland and, and Los Angeles. And um, Oakland was almost sold out, but not completely in Los Angeles was, uh, you know, not, it was in the 12s, if I remember. It wasn't as big as I expected. So the match itself, <clears throat> there there is a uh, handicam version of the match. It's not it's not great quality, uh, but um, I think it's by uh, the person who recorded it is uh, Roy. Roy Lucy, mm-hmm. Lucy uh, how do you Roy, Roy Lucier? Yeah, okay. he he yeah. he's the one. I think he put it on YouTube. So um, the match. Do you remember the match as far as its quality? It was really good. You know, it was what you expect from a Hogan Flair match. I mean, it was. Um, but yeah, no crowd. The crowd heat was tremendous, um, and I would say I remember thinking it was going to be seventy five twenty five, and I would say it was more eighty five fifteen in favor of Hogan as far as the crowd reaction. There were definitely Flair fans, but less than I thought there would be. And um, but yeah, you know, it was um, Flair. Flair was a super worker, and Hogan. You know, uh, Hogan was real motivated. It was the first one. Um, they didn't go as long as Flair wanted. I remember that because I talked to Flair that right after the match. And it was just like, I remember him telling me, it's like, I want to do 25, and Hogan says we're going to save 25 for WrestleMania. And I was thinking in my head, you ain't going to get to WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's that's never happening. Hogan's just saying that because he didn't want to go 25. So the... Um in reading back in the in those observers, the idea before the feud was that whether or not you know is this going to be the explosion of the house show business and professional wrestling in general that is necessary or is needed because you know it was the decline it was definitely on a decline from the years prior. And you wrote that while the 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 shows had done better than just about anything in you know in recent memory, um, they weren't. I guess, you know, this record breaking business that some thought it would be. No, it wasn't it wasn't like all sellouts or anything like that. It did you know, I mean business was down um at the time and it did pick business up from this like September you know, like for a couple of months. By January, um, you know, the advances were bad and that's when Vince pulled the plug on it early. Um but uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and it was weird, too, because I would say that the, the fans were more excited than management because I do remember being told, and, and um, I think it was actually Patterson who told me, and it really hit me, that, you know, just like about, about a week before, and he just goes, it's going to do real well. He goes, it's not like if it was like Hulk Hogan and Undertaker, you know, and I was like, nah, you know what? This is bigger than Hulk Hogan and Undertaker, but, you know, they didn't see it that way. Because they're in their minds, like, yeah, nobody knows who Ric Flair is. You know what I mean? And and you know, as as it turned out, because the crowds kept dropping, what it was was is people did know who Ric Flair was, but because it wasn't promoted as anything special, um, it it fell off. I mean, it fell off great here. I think that they went from what was it, uh, you know, almost fourteen thousand nine hundred to maybe fifty four hundred the next month which just 
stunned me seeing how empty the, 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 the second one was. Well, you, you, you had written that they decided to experiment with cutting back on the advertisement for the second match, and it was just the local TV. And, like, they didn't run, I'm assuming, what would have been the newspaper ads and the radio ads, but they, like, I'm not exactly sure why they decided to to do that experiment, um, but... And then the result was that the Cow Palace show was way down from the Oakland Coliseum show. Yeah, I was stunned going to the Cow Palace show. And, and it's like, is Hogan and Flair's second meeting after a hot first meeting with a DQ finish that, that you know, you know, led to a viable rematch and this program's supposed to be hot? And yeah, it was it was it was shocking to me the the, the crowd at the Cow Palace. So then, heading into the Survivor Series pay per view, there you know the idea that they were going to have the Survivor Series, and then there was this secret Tuesday night in Texas. In in before they actually figured out what they were doing, there was some thought that Flair and Hogan were actually going to have a match on Tuesday in Texas. I think it was you you had sort of refuted it like after like the next week but um flair is kind of just another guy in the survivor series and he gets his own entrance but he's just thrown into the survivor series match as like oh yeah this is the real world's champion and we're just going to put him in the opening match on survivor series yeah i thought the build of survivor series is what is what killed the feud as being anything special because to me the hogan flair thing what made the Hogan Flair thing big is that Flair wasn't a WWE wrestler, and I thought that was really important to try to portray it as he's coming in, and it's not a WWE guy, and they wouldn't have any of it. And I thought as a another guy in the WWE, um, you know, he's quickly going to come down to earth because, you know, it's, it's, it just changes the dynamic of, of everything. I mean, he's, you know, he's still a star, he's still Ric Flair, but it's it's just different than the, the the money was NWA World Champion NWA's face of the company for um, you know a decade against Hulk Hogan, and then when the when it became what it became was Challenger of the Month and Challenger of the Month you know he's better he did better than the Challengers of the Month were doing, but it wasn't um, you know it wasn't the turnaround you know like that uh, legendary thing, you know, champion versus champion, whatever, you know, that type of a thing, which rarely would happen. You know, it wasn't that special thing. And, you know, and Hogan and Flair should have been that special thing because, you know, it isn't even just champion versus champion, but it was decade-dominant champion versus decade-dominant champion that people debated on and, you know, you had all those strong emotions about it and people still cared about the world title back then compared to now. And, um, you know, and again, I was at the show, Oakland was so hot. I mean, it's not like it was special hot, you know, even more than a regular Hogan match, a lot more. But, you know, by November, it was just the Hogan match. You know, maybe, and it was a stronger challenger than usual, but but it's still just the Hogan main event. Now, the idea of Flair coming in um, as, you know, I, I mean, I think a lot of people obviously knew who he was, but for those loyal WWF fans who were so pro Hogan that you know the the idea of Flair coming in and doing the Ric Flair style which is you know putting uh 
taking everybody's offense. Uh, it wasn't like the the monsters that they would bring in, like these humongous guys that Hogan would have to sell, 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 sell for, and then cut, do the comeback. This was like if if you were like uh, didn't know a lot about Rick Fair and you watched him and you watched him bump for everybody in the world in that Survivor Series match and then the Royal Rumble match. You know he he's a champion because he's very savvy and crafty and and smart but he wasn't that wasn't like the type of challenger that hogan would usually face and he wasn't he like he didn't wrestle like a strong style he i mean i i don't i don't actually remember what the the uh, house show i mean the the uh, tv matches where i think he he may have only had a couple of them where he beat somebody with the figure four but it's not like he was this like strong guy coming in he was doing the same rick flair style which is to um, you know, to win in the end or to be crafty in the end, but get pretty much get beat up for the whole match. Yeah. By the time the Rumble came, Hogan and Flair was dead. It was a done issue. They did. They were doing tags. It was Hogan and Piper against Flair and, and Sid. You know, and the, and the big heat was Hogan and Sid. You know, the other guys would have set it up. Um, but like I said, Survivor Series was the one where, and, and you know, and again, Vince pulled the plug, whatever it was, six weeks later. You know, I remember watching Survivor Series and going like, okay, you know, Flair and Hogan. I mean, they've got a couple cities they haven't gone in. It's still Flair and Hogan. It'll do okay. Um, like Boston still did well and all. But, you know, it was definitely the bloom was going to be off the rose for that exact reason. Um, Flair should not have been bumping for anyone. He shouldn't have been wrestling anyone but Hogan at all. You know, I mean, I know he worked a lot of house shows when Hogan was, because Hogan didn't work a full schedule when Flair did. So he worked a lot with Piper, and he beat Piper. And I guess that's okay because Piper rarely lost, and Piper was a big, big star and all, and they had shot the angle and all that with Piper. But I mean, as far as like being on the W, you know, with a, teaming with three WWE guys against, that was what it was. He was teaming with with a bunch of WWE guys against a bunch of other WWE guys, and he was just a guy. I knew that that was going to take the bloom off the rose, and it did. And you know, it's one of those dynamics that. I, I it, 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 you know, I thought it was very obvious, and it was one of those things where, like, they they couldn't think that way, you know, because they're just incapable of thinking that way. You know, right. it was like the more he's on, the more he's on our TV, the bigger star he becomes, and it's like actually, the more he's on your TV, the less bigger star he comes. But they couldn't figure that part out. Well, one one last thing, uh, John and I always uh, we've thought about this. You mentioned that Heenan has to go. They, they they put Heenan on the road, but Heenan's neck is too messed up, and they eventually move over to Perfect. But there was uh, you had written that Jim Cornette was actually the one that they wanted to replace Heenan. But I think that was right when Smoky Mountain was going or whatever. So Cornette did, decided not to do it. But do you think that would have worked uh, to you know maybe kickstart some of that stuff again if Cornette's the one in the corner? I think Cornette was, if Cornette was able to do the interviews that he instinctively would have done, I think it would have helped a lot. Because the one thing is, is for that period, I think Cornette, more than anyone, understood what I kind of said, and I don't think they did. So, yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, he didn't... He still had the cachet, and, and he was um, the legendary manager and all. But, um, you know, yeah, he, I think Heenan wished he could have done it, but he didn't want to be a shell of himself. Because I know Heenan, you know, Heenan loved Ric Flair. 
And, you know, even, even at the end, even though he only managed Ric Flair for a short period of time, I remember um, he would always say, like, you know, his, his five favorite whatever. You know, number one was always, the, you know, it was always the, the, the big three, which was Kurt Hennig, Ric Flair, and Ray Stevens. You know, that was like the big ones. And, you know, his favorite people to manage. And number four was Pat Patterson. And number five was, was Bockwinkle, which would get people all kinds of mad because everybody thought that it should be Lanza or Bockwinkle because he was more famous for managing them. But um, the reality is is that um, he loved Kurt Hennig. Um, you know, Kurt Hennig was like a son to him type of a thing. And, you know, Ray Stevens to Bobby Heenan, that was just like the god of wrestling. And Ric Flair's the other god of wrestling, you know, to Bobby Heenan. So, you know... Yeah. All right, we're going to bring in Brandon Draven now. Draven is the only person I know who can uh, call out the eliminations in order in the 1992 Royal Rumble, which is Ric Flair's uh, classic, classic match for WWF. Brandon Draven, what is up, my friend? What's up, man? Thank you for having me on here. I haven't been on your uh, newer podcast. I've been in the old Ball So Hard podcast a few times, <laughs> which would always pop me, but I haven't been in this one. So thank you for having me, man. All right. No, per- it was a perfect time. Uh, you are, as well as just being uh, a wrestling fanatic slash historian, you also know Ric Flair's story very well. So um, I wanted to bring you on on our We, we Want Flair segment. And specifically around this match, because you have, you know, you, I, I, I've talked to you about it, and you, this is one of your your favorite matches as far as performance and stuff. So, before we get to the actual match, um, 1992 January, I, how you're you're probably a young teenager at this point. What well, is I'm your, eleven. I'm eleven years okay, old. Okay, so even even younger than that. Yeah. So, what is your wrestling fandom at this point in time? Uh, I was both WCW at this point. The, the you know the typical uh, I guess what anybody from my generation would be as far as being a hardcore wrestling fan. I, I was watching uh, at this point WCW WWF at the time, and and I did catch Global. Global was also on on our on our television at that time. So that was three that I was watching pretty intensely at the time. Uh, but I, this this was. The, you know the 92 year I, I really enjoyed it because it was it was Ric Flair now I've said this before on, on my own podcast is that I, I started as a as a NWA slash WCW fan first and then segged into becoming a WWF fan because my neighbors were into uh, the NWA so to me Ric Flair has always been a big deal even even I was never a Hulkamaniac uh, I was never uh, caught up in that cartoon world of, of the WWF even as a kid my favorite wrestler was Bret Hart while he was in the Hart Foundation and getting absolutely no push. So I must, mm-hmm. I must have seen something in the guy before anybody else did. Um, and, and so, yeah, so so I, I was just – the Royal Rumble 92 is always, always going to hold a special place in my heart for that reason. It's actually funny you say Bret Hart because at this point in time, there was talk that uh, he was possibly leaving the company. And then he realized that his contract wasn't – uh, it, I guess it had rolled over and he couldn't actually leave, but there was real thought that he was going to leave for WCW at this point. Yeah, uh, at this point, Jim Hurd really wanted to, um, because it was looking bad that Jim Hurd was losing all these guys like Sid and even like Flair a little earlier and in the Road Warriors. So he wanted to do something where the the tide would turn, right? He wanted to start getting some of their guys. 
and and Brett was one of them, and also Ted DiBiase was another one, and both of them, for whatever reason, were locked down on their contract to Vince, and they just couldn't go anywhere. But Brett got the closest, and so that that was one of the reasons why he dropped the title to uh, the Mountie a couple of days before this show, mm-hmm. and, and then um and then they had Roddy Piper come in and do that whole deal, which was classic. That's one of the biggest pops you're ever gonna hear is Roddy Piper uh, winning the title here in Albany, New York, at this Rumble. And he actually, all things considered, came out of this entire show as one of the most over guys, you know, for the pay-per-view because he wrestled twice and he had a great showing in the Rumble. And they really, he had that, that, that uh, uh, segment with, with Ric Flair where he came in at number 15 when, when the ring was cleared. So he had, a, he had a lot of promotion done towards him for this show. So, um, so yeah, so Brett and, and Ted DiBiase, both of them were kind of, there was rumblings that they were going to go to WCW. Yeah, it was almost like for Piper, Flair coming to WWF kind of reignited him a bit because if I'm remembering correctly, he was sort of retired. And then when Flair comes when Flair comes in, he decides that he wants to be the guy to get Flair ready for the uh, the Hogan matches. And then he kind of has a bit of a rejuvenation year at the end of 91 and all the way into 92. Yeah, he was doing the whole thing with Virgil right before this, which wasn't getting him anywhere. Um, just because Virgil, you know, he he was he was great in the beginning, and a lot of it was Piper, um, but he just couldn't carry the load, right? I mean, Virgil ended up kind of you know flaming out after like SummerSlam '91, even though that was another incredible pop. If people want to hear a pop, watch uh, Virgil defeat Ted DiBiase at SummerSlam for the million dollar belt. That's a pop right there in itself. But um. But Roddy Piper was doing commentary. He wasn't doing much. And then this opportunity came by. And then they did the angle where Vince McMahon took a chair shot, which was wacky. And then, <laughs> and, and then they were off and running with the feud. Yeah. So the, the first half to get him ready for uh, for Hogan. Okay. So if you're 11, you're not really hip to the business stuff yet, right? No, no. That wouldn't be until like 95 when I started okay. in the Observer. So I was like okay. 14 when I started. Unfortunately, I, I, I did become a quote unquote smart mark. And I say unfortunately because there's a lot of magic that's lost, as you know, when oh, yeah. when, when oh, you yeah. kind of become smart to the business. Uh, and I was very young when that happened. I was kind of that first wave of the Internet back in like 97, 98. But um, at the same time, it, it's allowed me it gave me a head start to really learn about the real history of the business. Very frustrating in some sense because you can't carry conversations at that point with other fans. But, <laughs> at, but at the same time, I've always, as I got older, I appreciate the information a little more, you know? And, and so, yeah, so at, at 11, I was just still right, just a fan who was just a fan, you know? Well, I'll tell you this quick story. It doesn't really relate to this match, but the uh, 1988, the main event between Hogan and Andre, my local newspaper published the finish the day i think it was the day of the match so it was like i don't remember if it was on the sports page or not but i do remember going to school that day and going hey guys this is what's gonna happen and then coming back to school monday i was like the you know the the predictor of i was nostradamus to all of my all of my friends and yeah. so when i sort of realized where the the newspaper would have gotten that information I asked uh, Meltzer, like, I don't know, this was probably like, gosh, probably 10 years now. Cause I, you know, when did I first meet him? Like mid 2000s. So this is like 10 years ago. I said, Hey, you know, I have this real, real vivid childhood memory 
of the main event being spoiled, would you have given this information to the reporter? And he couldn't remember really. But then, I don't know if you remember this, um, he put up the, uh, I think there was one 88 observer that they've put up on F4W. And I think it's in that observer or it's either in that one or the one after. And I, and I just randomly recently got like a bunch of uh, 88 observers. But in, in that thing, he writes about my memory, about the exact reporter who did it. And then, and then, you know, how, how they, they got it. Like, I guess it wasn't even much of a secret uh, at that point because of maybe it was because of advertising or advertising WrestleMania four or whatever. So, and then, so then I was like, look, 10 years ago, you told me you didn't remember. And I showed it to him and he was like, oh yeah, that that had to be me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say it was, it was easy back in the day because what would happen was that, and they still do this to this day. Like these guys have the same match every night, right? They have the and they don't, they don't change anything about it. Back in the day, because they were all just walking zombies because of that schedule. And nowadays, just because everything's so, so overly produced. So um, if you had a match on Saturday, say in San Jose, I mean, you could go if you're, if you're a newspaper reporter and you're hip to it, you could always say, well, that's going to be the result on Sunday. So here's the spoiler for Sunday. And they ain't going to change nothing. That's literally what's going to be the result. So you start kind of, like you said, coming off as Nostradamus. Now, the whole WrestleMania 4 tournament, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so let's get to this match. What, I mean, this match is great. Everyone who's watched this match loves this match, loves the performance. But what is it that made you watch it so many times and have just such the the memory and the recollection? And like, what is it about this match that made made you, you know, the, the fan that you are of this match? Okay, well, it was in my video store all the time. And what happened was that I would go over to my uncle's house with my, with my dad and, and my family or whatever. And like, like any Latino family that grew up back in the day, they would literally get all the kids and throw them into one room <laughs> with a VCR and a TV. And then they would go party, right? That was the whole deal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So so with me, it was – and my cousins, they'll throw us in a room. And the, for, no, first they would take us to the video store. And everybody got to rent one video. I would always rent this video just because I loved it. And then so so I would, you know, show up to the room, put it on and then we would watch it. And this would happen every weekend. I've gone on record saying that I've seen this match about 100 times and I'm not exaggerating. I've probably seen it about that many times. And then later on, it was just something that I love because it's it's this match is one where you don't have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy it just because it has fundamental drama in it. Right. So so it, it's like you, you latch on to Ric Flair. You latch on to Bobby Heenan, which we're going to get to right now, because Bobby Heenan makes this match. What, what You know, this match is historic, probably thanks to Bobby Heenan for about like 70%, I would say. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a pretty big because the match itself is not that good. And we're going to get to that big pink elephant in the room because a lot of people don't like to talk about that. The actual match itself, especially considering other WrestleManias that came after this, it's not really that good of a match. But it's the structure of the match that makes it important. Mm-hmm. The people involved in the match, because you have right here, both from the Observer Hall of Fame and from the WWE Fake Hall of Fame, you have probably, what, about 50 to 60% of these guys are all in it? Oh, I mean, yeah. It's, oh, it's, yeah. A, it's an incredible stat when you think about it. And that rarely happens only because this match was for the world title. So so it, they were all going to be in it, all the, all the top guys. Not only that, but everybody that walks out of the curtain and comes to the ring is gigantic human being. Like you watch Ted DiBiase come out and you're like, God, this guy is so big. Like when you, when you watch it with 2020 eyes, right? Cause everyone in wrestling today is so small by comparison. Yeah, of course. These, these guys are so huge. 
the, the, the thing about the quality that you just said is, uh, is pretty right on because if you watch this match without sound, and sometimes I watch wrestling like that because I'm doing something else or I'm working or I'll have it on in the background. You do see like some missed stuff. Like, you know, you think of Shawn Michaels and how great he is. And in this match, he's like missing stuff left and right. Like he super kicks Ric Flair and misses by like. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. So no, so you so you so you're right, it, but it, but the, this is why you know we'll sort of bring it back to to 2020 in a sense why empty wrestling doesn't work because mm-hmm. you don't have the reactions of the fans sitting there watching you know what you said is magic and really it is magic it's it's magic and it's performance and it's smoke and mirrors and it's Bobby Heenan uh, but you know turning the sound down you're like oh this is a f- kind of a fun match the way it's structured but I don't get everything unless you turn it up and you listen to Bobby and you listen to the crowd and you listen to Flair beg off and right. all that stuff. Well, even the structure of the match is what's important because I don't know if it was Pat Patterson or whomever. You got to remember that before there, there's, there, there's, there's been two eras of the world rumbles. There's the era that we have now where a lot of guys come in and there's a big heat spot and a shine spot where they come in and do other finishers. And it's literally about, Who's going to come out at the buzzer, right? That's literally what the Royal Rumble is about today. Who's going to come out at the buzzer, and and, and are they going to do their entire moveset in like a minute? That's fine. That's what we have because it creates – you stay on that on that uh, roller coaster ride constantly up into number 30. Before they came up with that formula, it was more about just guys trying to actually win a battle royal. So you saw a lot of lumbering guys kicking and punching and th- trying to throw each other out. Some guys would come in. If they were over, they would go through their movesets. Some of them wouldn't. And then within there, you had like a, some feuds kind of, you know, within the match. Like right here, we had Randy Savage and and, um, and Jake the Snake, which is classic. <laughs> um, but but it was very, it was very uh, you know, it was kind of slow and plotting. Um, and, and so... The thing about this match in particular is that it was structured beautifully working within the limitation of the guys. You know, they, they had the whole first half, which it actually literally finishes at number 15 with, with Big Boss Man getting thrown out and, and then Roddy Piper coming in at number 15 and kind of starting that second half. So you don't have the lumbering giants out there getting winded and making it really boring. Um, and then after that, you just focus on, you, you know, you, you focus on the feuds, the Jake Roberts, uh, Randy Savage, The Undertaker comes in. So you have all these great little storylines within the match. And this was one of the first times they did that because 89, well, they started with 88, but I don't really count that one. 89, 90, and 91, it's just one big battle royal. And, and you know, you're coming in and you're doing your spots and you kind of start choking people and punching. Here, you start, focus, you, you start breaking the match down by segments. And this is one of the first time we started seeing that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it works. It, it works to the benefit of the match because you're covering up for the guys that can't work, like the Iron Sheiks who was in this match, like the Skinners, those like Bob Slaughter who was you know past his prime, and and, and you make up for it with like the little mini feuds and you breaking down you know quarterly. You break it down quarterly and then you keep the action going. So that's what this match has going for it, even though the match itself as a whole is not very good. So before we get to kind of the the structure and, and the layout. When Flair comes to uh, WWF in uh, the fall of 1991, you had been privy to uh, his uh, his run in right. you know, in the late 80s in WCW. You said you were a big fan. Flair comes in and he comes in with this you know mystery belt. Now, for people who watched both, like you, you knew exactly who I he knew was, what it was, and I was marking exactly. out. Right, me too. But for those who were WWF only fans, 
they I'm sure they knew the name Ric Flair, but they maybe didn't know his style. It's just when you bring in this challenger for Hogan, it's it's a whole different ballgame than usually how you would bring in challengers for Hogan, which was these big giant monster guys who are just beating the crap out of him, and then he makes a comeback. The opposite is is Flair, who's more savvy. He's not strong. He doesn't, you know, he's taken everybody's move. It was a really a flip of what the WWF formula was. How much of that do you think was the reason why the Hogan and Flair thing didn't work as as well as we all probably thought we could have fantasy booked it when we were kids? I, I think I think the reason for that is a little more complex. I don't think it's, it's as easy as A or B. I think, yeah, there was some paranoia at that time because in 91, early 91, the Hogan and Kurt Hennig program didn't really get over, and it actually kind of flopped in the at the at the houses. You know, even though I mean everything Hogan was touching at that time was turning to gold anyway, but you would want it to turn into more gold. You know what I'm saying? So it, saying the the Kurt Hennig Hogan program was a flop is actually the wrong term. It just wasn't drawing as much as Hogan had drawn with Earthquake, you know, before that, or some of the other big guys that he was wrestling with. So I guess you could say that Vince had in the back that in the back of his head, like you put him with a lighter guy, even though. And by today's standards, both Kirk and Ric Flair are pretty big guys. Yeah. And so there's that, you know, weighing on you. But at the end of the day, it's Vincent and his ego. And I've always said it. I mean, here, here, even even me at 11 years old, here I was marking out because I saw the WCW title, the you know, Big Goldie on the WWF screen. And it was like it was amazing. And it was weird because what I do remember about that time is that nowadays, if you're a fan you, 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 all, all this, all this anxiety as a fan, you could release it on the internet because there's like-minded people there, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. when you're 11 years old and you have this very inside knowledge that you don't even really know it's inside, all you know is that the world title from WCW all of a sudden appeared on WWF television. Like, where do you put that energy? There's no way I can't go to my schoolyard and start just marking out over it because nobody's gonna understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so it was weird because it's almost like you kept this energy bottled up, this positive energy of being a fan, right? The fan, the fan, the fandom, or, or what you know, the fan culture wasn't really a thing back then yet. Uh, you know, to now we're all connected as fans. So that was very frustrating. I remember. I remember like, God damn, that's that's a WCW title. Because what happened is that when Barry Windham won the title. After after Ric Flair had left, or Lex Luger wanted, I'm sorry, um, they made him a new belt. So so whatever, you know, he's he's off doing his thing. But this was the actual world title. This was Ric Flair who just vanished from WCW TV in July. Like you know, that was another thing back then. We didn't have these warnings. Guys just disappeared from television and they were gone. Yeah. Uh, um. So so here, uh, yeah, I, I think you got the Kurt Hennig thing going on. You you also have the um. The fact that Vince McMahon has an ego, and of course you have Kevin Dunn there. We've we've heard these stories many many times, more stories even. And so I just think it was that whole idea of like if 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 we give Ric Flair too much power as this outsider who's the real world champion, what does that say about our title? So then you start you, you start that starts messing with your with your mind. And then you know once they put him in that Survivor Series team with the Warlord and DiBiase and the Bounty, <laughs> well, well, what do you have after that? You have just another guy in the company. That's yep, all you have. Yep. And at that point. You know, fans ain't stupid, especially you know back then. I mean, I'm 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 sad to say it, but back then the fans were a little more cultured and stuff, so they understood certain things a little more, um, and they weren't just accepting of things. Uh, and so at that point, it's like, why this is just another guy? And, and so once you know, we talked about the house show loop. Once they came back, it, it showed in the gates. It, it wasn't drawing as much. 
Well, I mean, you go back to that Survivor Series match and the, the Ric Flair actually bumping for everybody's move in this Royal Rumble match works because he's he's like, you know, Muhammad Ali rope-a-doping everybody. But in that Survivor Series match, it doesn't make sense for him to do that same thing, even though he, he wins, because what does he win in that match? He's just an opening match talent in, in on that show and you know it would have been much better usage of him to not have him wrestle at all until you get him with hogan on a, on a big show and and they didn't they didn't do that well the, the the whole the whole key here is that he should have come in as this mysterious guy that everybody knows and again you have to kind of you know walk through eggshells right because you can't say wcw and it, i mean you could but you you wouldn't want to because then you're promoting the opposition but everybody knew who he was so it's like the right way to have kept him was to kept him kind of like this outsider, like the, a legitimate outsider who was coming in and he was being he was bragging. He had this belt and, you know, and then and then if, if he's really the real world champion, put him in the Royal Rumble. Let's see what he does with it. Have the mm-hmm. same Royal Rumble you had and he wins it. And then you, you he has the credibility to go with Hogan. Yeah. But but I think at this time and at other times we've seen with with Vince, he just went into this self fulfilling prophecy of like ah he's you know he's from the bush leagues as Steve Austin likes to say you know uh you know he he and then guess what he he'll create a scenario where, where Rick Stark does come off as being from the bush leagues so that's what happens that's what happens when you have egos and, and you don't you you know you don't want to do what's right for business. All right, you already mentioned the uh, flare clears the ring. Piper comes in at the halfway point, and and uh, he he Heenan gets to gets to go off on you know whether it's a skirt or a kilt and classic, you know, that that's that classic, classic line. Yeah. So, but what are some of the other moments that that you remember very fondly about this match? Well, <laughs> so so um, again, it's the structure of this match. First of all, Davy Boy got over huge just by being number one, right? He and this is this is supposed to be post steroids era because they had just started the. Test. No, 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 no. They because they, they started after Texas Tornado got caught in St. Louis, which would have been I want to say in the summer. They actually started in the summer of '92, I believe, or maybe, but it definitely wasn't yet. It was coming. Oh, you know, so, you know what? No, what happened is that they had taken the baseline test. Right, right. Yes, they, yeah. they had taken the baseline test. Right, right. So the baseline test was done. And remember, the, it's in the Observer. They came back in, like, what was it, like 95% of the wrestlers were all, like, real high. And oh, then that's, yeah. what, and then that's yeah. when they told them, like, get off this shit. You know, that was just to see how many people were on it and then tell them to get off the shit. And, you know, some of them didn't listen. Some of them quit. This is also when we like – this is actually a very important show because this is, like, a good delineation of, like, what WWE was before 92 and after 92, which was when they couldn't find their identity because a lot of guys fucking bolted after this show, man. A lot of them, the warlord, the barbarian, uh, tons of them. Those were Jimmy Snuka left. Um, so it was just weird that a lot of them Her- Hercules ended up leaving. Um, and all the, all the muscle guys just couldn't face the fact that they couldn't take steroids anymore. Mm-hmm. But going back to what you, what you had asked me before. Yeah. So one of the, Again, and and this this is like a good movie. This match because the older you get and the more you appreciate the inside workings of the business, and you start to see all the little what we know as little Easter eggs, right? Which has become a big terminology in in movies, you know, with the MCU and all that. So here you have a few of them. First of all, I do love the psychology of Ted DiBiase not being in the ring that long because it tells you it tells you right off the hop that anybody's vulnerable to get thrown out because Ted DiBiase would always. He would always put his time in, in these matches, right? Well, yeah, he would do what Flair did in this match, which is last for a long time and 
Uh, and, and it was the exact opposite. He was like the first guy kicked out and he didn't even get to the third person. Right. So here they're already telling you that. I also love the fact that this was for whatever reason, Vince always believed in Sean. Like like he hit, he, he would bury every other small guy. But Sean, like even going back all the way to the Rockers, like he just believed in this guy. I don't know what he saw in him because he was super small, smaller than most of these guys. Which is funny because now Sean would be one of the you know bigger guys, but that's mm-hmm. um, and so here he gets his little moment. He gets a lot of like you said, he does miss a couple spots, especially that that the one with Flair where Flair actually puts. I blame that one on Flair though because he took the bump way too early. Yeah, um, and then he actually put his his hand up where the foot made contact with the hand. Um, but Sean is bumping and and he's trying to get over and he does get over with the boys here. Um, again, you, there, there's two ways to get over here in wrestling. Either you get over with the fans or you get over with the boys. If you get over with the boys, more of them are going to want to work with you and it's going to help your stock in the locker room, which is all, all, also a good thing. Um, then you have all the guys from the NWA. That, that's really where a lot of the older fans now really get a kick out of this match because the whole, the whole thing here was that everybody was coming in. There was this like subtle underlying theme of the match where Ric Flair was kind of like the every he, he had the biggest target regardless of who everybody was feuding with. So literally, and it became comical as everybody's coming into the match, they're all going for Flair. So the match by default revolves around Flair, and so you have you have stuff like the Texas Tornado coming in after him, which which you know it's a big Easter egg for anybody that's followed oh, the yeah. business. And, and 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 Greg the Hammer Valentine is another one that's you know everybody knows their history. Roddy Piper, uh, you know uh, Savage, all these guys that, that he had history with in the past are all coming out there and they're going for him. And again, there's a subtlety to it because Gino Monsoon ain't gonna sell shit that you no. didn't do inside outside the WWE, so he's gonna say nothing. So it's all up to you as a fan to kind of you know connect the dots and. Then, then that's a little cherry on top. We have all these Hall of Fame guys, man, and all the guys that later on became respected. So I think th- this is the perfect – like this match is, is the perfect storm of all kinds of things where it's only going to get better as the years go on because of, of the legacy of the match and also the legacy of the guys in the match. Yeah. All right. So as we get to the end of this thing, like you said, they save – Hogan and Sid Justice, you know, these bigger guys for the end because they don't they don't have the gas tanks and <laughs> yes, these guys. But um, we get to the final four. It's it's Hogan. It's Flair. It's Justice and Savage. Savage. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the themes of, of the Royal Rumbles, if you kind of watch them, uh, especially you know, into the 2000s, there there was a thing where, okay, it's kind of the final four, and then they kind of reset. They don't really do that necessarily here, but it is a big deal that in the match, the final four are going to be the four main event guys at WrestleMania 8. Right. And that's another misconception about the whole idea of Hogan and Flair at WrestleMania 8. The, it was never going to happen at WrestleMania 8, and that's one of the most frustrating things about you know, looking at this entire period in hindsight, because they, they, they had marketing out for Hogan versus Flair during this time. But it was part of the storyline to get you to Hogan and Sid. I mean, mm-hmm. and also to uh, Savage and Flair. Um, so so essentially the match was teased as part of the buildup towards the real main events, which is kind of weird when you think about it, because if that match would have gotten over, which it didn't. It would have really created havoc. But back then, nobody was really talking about it. I mean, from doing my research now, but even me. As, a, as an 11-year-old kid, I kind of accepted 
where they were going because, first of all, the angle with, with uh, Savage and Flair was excellent, getting Liz oh, yeah. involved. That was awesome. So that made me forget that, hey, they had just promoted Hogan and Flair. But even then, um, even I knew that Hogan and Flair was like whatever at this point because Flair was just another guy. So, so, um, so yeah, so, so they had the they, – they, they, the point I'm trying to make is that the final four here were always the ones that were going to co-headline WrestleMania 8. And they had the plan all along. It wasn't like they changed their mind midstream like a lot of people think they did or whatever. It's just that, that Hogan and Flair was never meant to be at WrestleMania. It's just the way it is. All right. So we get to the end. And uh, interestingly, the way that you get Hogan out is for him to get eliminated by justice. And then he and Flair together... Well, Ho- not together, but Hogan is Hogan is upset, and then H- Flair Hogan's takes been the pride baby that he's always right. been, you know. And 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 it's amazing that the the uh, you know the the powers that be thought that this was going to be a way for Hogan to be baby faced in this thing, and not understanding that Sid really lo- is the one who looks like he got screwed out of this match. Well, they're both idiots because Sid's hanging his hand out there when he should have been focused on Flair, which you know as an adult now I'm thinking, dude, come on. Win the John, match. It's uh, John Studd and uh, Refrigerator Pan. Yeah, all over I, again. I say he doesn't decapitate himself with that lower rope like John Studd does when he takes that fall. It's so <laughs> horrible. Um, but the thing is, uh, you know, I'm just joking, though. At the end of the day, yeah, you're right. The, the, the story is structured to have more sympathy towards Sid, and it shows in the match because everybody boos Hogan, which has been edited off the network and the, and the Coliseum videotape. The only way to hear that is if you have the live pay-per-view version of it. Uh, but... I think even at this time, maybe Vince had this subtle thing where he was done with Hogan. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe he was like, you know what? Because at this point, Vince ain't a, a dumb man at all. He understands exactly what he's doing. And he understands wrestling psychology, which is the key. So I'm thinking maybe he wants Sid to have that sympathy. Maybe Sid is the – I'm not saying maybe. For sure, you know, he thinks that Sid is going to be the next Hogan. Yep. And, and so that was the whole point, to kind of get Hogan – kind of start phasing him out with that heel heat and then, you know, phase him out at, at, at uh, WrestleMania 8 or whatever. So, um, yeah, so I think I think there was definitely some intent in that angle. I don't think it was all accidental. Well, it also – you know, it, it's going to get worse throughout the year. But at the end of 91 – uh, is is a lot of the, your inside editions and right. those kind of shows talking about uh, steroids and talking about Hogan and you got Doctor D and you got Superstar Graham. <laughs> yes, and those guys are like really you know trying to give away secrets you know on Hogan. Oh, he's this real steroid abuser forever, and and so that stuff is starting. And in, like I said, it'll get worse, and that that is part of the reason why uh, Vince has to go away from Hogan. Uh, at, you know, at that point in time, but that 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 stuff is kind of starting. So I do wonder if it was in the back of his mind. I'm sure it was. And one of the one of the things that kind of gets frustrating for me as a historian, and I'm sure for you as well, is trying to kind of articulate and put in perspective to some of the younger generation of fans that we have nowadays how how important that news coverage was and how detrimental it was to um to Vince and the WWF because the world's completely different now those, those kind of news edition television shows really don't have the power they once had and they don't even ha- I know they don't have the credibility because a lot of them are seen as jokes whatever's left over today they they don't have the equity that they had 
you know, 25, 30 years ago. So to, to go out and try to explain to a younger fan why this was so so uh, dangerous to the company, it, it's very difficult because there's no I, – I can't get a perspective to connect it to today just because it's a different world we live in. So, yeah, but you're right. These Inside Editions and all these shows, they were the Geraldo Riveros. They were just – they did a lot of damage to the company. And the company, for not being honest, did a lot of damage to itself in return. Oh, all, like our, our moms in, uh, watch those shows and they're yeah. like – do you exactly. see what your your hero is doing here? Why is he caught up in all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, those, those shows had a lot of equity with Middle America. They had a lot of equity with the soccer moms. They had a lot of equity with pretty much the you know the entire uh, family fabric of, of of this country, and and everybody was watching them. You know, the, the 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 men would come home from work and they would watch the the afternoon ones and or the evening ones, and then the women would watch the afternoon ones, and they had a lot of power. And and so um, nowadays. People laugh at that, right? Because nowadays we see them, and then later on it came out that a lot of these shows were a work as well, or they embellished oh, yeah. a lot of stuff. So, but back then, man, it was it was dark times for this company, and Hogan was right in the middle of it for not being honest, man. And it was one lie that just kind of turned everything around at the Arsenio Hall show, and it got that ball rolling, and then more and more scandal came out, and it changed the company. It changed it. What they were never the same until '97. I mean, shit. So, yeah, that, that was a big deal. And, you know, you're not going to like this comparison or maybe you will, but, you know, you're you're a, you're a, a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. But you remember you remember, you know, Major League Baseball goes through this same thing. You know, I don't know, it's 10, 10 to 15 years later with the steroid stuff. And it's not like Hogan and Barry Bonds were the only guys taking them. They were just on top while while the you know, while all the news coverage what was at its height. And so, so they get the they get the most most of the blame uh, of of everyone, and it's right. kind of it's kind of similar in, in that way because you know you're on top and you're the big star, and and then you get you you almost take the blame for the entire sport in a sense. Right. Well, like like we, as you know, with news coverage, everybody wants a black or white answer. No, nobody wants context, right? And we're we're still in that era today. That's going to be forever because our brain wants an answer. They don't want context or subtlety or nothing like that or abstract way of like receiving the information so it's very frustrating because even in 92 yeah vince could have cleaned his company up but if wcw wasn't testing or if even even the independence they sure as how we're going to be testing or global or whomever if they got caught doing something bad guess what the media was going to just clump, lump everybody in there right mm-hmm. so so it was very it was also a frustrating time for vince because even he's trying to but you know if, if nobody else plays along, then the, the, the industry as a whole is still going to be in trouble. And I remember Dave writing about this all the time. He would always be like, it does, what does it matter if Vince clamps down? It's because if, no, if, if we as an industry don't clamp down, then we're all going to sink together. Because, again, your, your, your average media consumer is not going to pick and choose. Our brain doesn't work like that. It's like it's either the, all the industry is guilty or none of it is guilty. And so that was another thing he was dealing with at this time, too. Same thing like you said with baseball. You know, it's, it's the same thing. All right. In closing. Except for the Astros. I blame them for everything. <laughs> Major League Baseball had nothing to do with it. They're cheaters. And, and you know, they, they stole the ring from us. But oh, that's yeah. all right. No, that one hurt you guys the most. 
All right. In, in closing, talk about uh, the the promo after this match is over. Uh, you know, with with Flair, it's a, it's a pretty famous promo, and I think you know most people who were uh, who were watching at this time could probably quote large amounts of it. But was this one of your one of your faves? Of course, and I've quoted it many times. The tear in my eye promo. Uh, Ric Flair has gone on record as saying this was a very subtle shot at WCW uh, because they didn't believe in him. They, they, you know, Jim Hurd had really kind of, you know, dragged them through the mud and, and, and tried to say that he wasn't good enough anymore to the point where he's in a saddle him with a gladiator gimmick. Um, and so pretty much the tear in my eye uh, tonight, I walk around as the real world's champion. It's him saying this is what it's all about. This is this, this is the real world champion. What I'm holding here, not the WCW belt. My, this, this is my belt, the world title. And so, um, when he starts running down the names of all the guys that he beat, he couldn't only use WWE names, of course, or WWF names. But he also it, it was it was for you to kind of interpret as all these other names that he he had also gone through over the years. So so the metaphor was that it was all about you know how WCW had lost his confidence in him. He came to the WWF. He won the real world's title, the one that matters, and he's gonna go out and party. And then, and then Gene says, "Put that cigarette out to somebody who's smoking about <laughs> three feet away from them." <laughs> Is there so? Um, I didn't watch the uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin interview with Flair, but you mentioned that it was good. Somebody told me that. There's an edit of this interview that's like an extended cut that WWE cut because he mentions like Sting or something in it. No, no, no. I've seen the uncut version on pay-per-view. I have the pay-per-view version on DVD. Uh, He's never mentioned Sting. Could you imagine back in the day? No, that's that's what I'm saying. uh, Now, here's here's, here's another theory. Um, I, I just first of all, I just watched that documentary today, and none of that came out. But here's another theory. Now, if they pre-tape that, which I doubt, because he's he's you know he's, he's bleeding, right? He's no, bleeding. He, no, no, he's yeah. not. He's just sweaty, and he's sweaty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought they pre-taped it, but it, but if if this person is talking about maybe they pre-taped it, and then there's the story that they edited that off. That's a different story. But for as far as the pay-per-view version, this is the same one that aired. Same same thing. Okay, yeah, because I, I need to watch that. But someone had said that it does put over Sting in the documentary, though, okay. or, or the interview. I'm sorry, the podcast, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, all right. No, th- this is this has been good. I, uh, I I was watching. I had it on in the background while we were talking, just because I want. You know, I've seen this a, a bunch of times, like you. But uh, there, there's a moment where Sid and Rick are working together, and Rick's got his right arm. And Sid does a kip up. I think Rick kind of helps him up a little bit, but I, I didn't remember that. Like you can watch this match like a bunch of times and still still find stuff that that I didn't realize. Oh, I didn't great. remember Sid doing a doing a big kip up. And, and and before I leave, let me just again. I don't think we've we've given credit to Bobby the Brain Heenan. This is his match too. I mean, he's out there putting a performance of a lifetime. And you know, for the people that have never. Well, I don't know if anybody hasn't seen the match, but I know you got some listeners that maybe haven't. The whole idea here is that Bobby Heenan is Ric Flair's uh, uh, financial consultant, right? Is that what he calls him? Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, no. So Rick, Perfect is uh, executive consultant. Oh, Bobby Heenan is financial advisor. There you go. Yeah, it's financial Fi- advisor. Which is wacky. Um, so Bobby Heenan has a financial stake in, in, uh, in Ric Flair winning this thing, right? It goes without saying. So... As soon as Rick, Flair, so first of all, Gino Monsoon's uh, ribbing him the whole night, bro. From the undercard, he's like, "Oh, you know, Rick Flair got number one, and I've got sources." And then that's freaking out Bobby Heenan, right? <laughs> um, what do you know? What do you know? Tell me. That. And, he's like, uh, and then 
Um, uh, Ric Flair. So, so anyway, so Ted DiBiase and Bulldog come out. They do their thing. And then the countdown starts. And then Ric Flair comes out. And Bobby Heenan has a heart attack on TV, which he sells. And not literal heart attack. More of a comedic, oh, shit, heart attack. And he's, he's bitching and complaining. He even says, and I quote, we got job, Monsoon. We got job. <laughs> that term should not exist in 1991 vernacular. You know what I mean? It's weird. But he's like, we got job, Monsoon. We got job. And then Monsoon, I, You know, when, I, when I'm, you know, watching this live, I probably don't even, I mean, I understand who a... Uh, a jobber is, but I don't understand the terminology uh, of that, how it, what it really would mean in, in the business. Right. And so, and then, you know, he's got some other classic quotes during this time. If you want to be fair to flair, you go number 31, you know, all that, all that shit that became infamous later on. And it's pretty cool. But, uh, but the whole idea here is that he's kind of, he's kind of our vessel to the match as, as a, he's got, he's, he's our POV to this match and it, it kind of it kind of adds another layer that we've never seen before or after because mm-hmm. he he he's he's a surrogate to Flair as as an announcer, and so he's at one point he's bargaining with God at one point he's asking for somebody to give him something with a kick like you know to drink you know and it's just it, it's just comedic comedic gold and 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 the thing is that you know he, him and and of course Gino's there with him right the whole time just catching out his fastballs his curveballs his softballs everything just fucking. Playing along with it, right? And you just know that these guys didn't rehearse nothing, and that and that's to me is the the purity of this match comes out in, in how how like organic it is and, and how like unproduced it is and how just just it's 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 something different, and you're never gonna see that again because you they didn't have nobody in their year time of all oh, get this over or talking this lame language that that you know only we talk in none of that none of that stuff. So it was awesome. All right, uh, you and uh, Big D are recording uh, more episodes of late of of the the KLB. Uh, I'm assuming just because we're all kind of stuck in our homes yes. all, all day long. Yeah, so so we've recorded. We're like the TNA old recording schedule where they would tape all these matches and then they would put them all together and tape them up and then release them. So I don't even know what's coming out. I just know that we've recorded a lot and we're gonna continue to record some more. We're doing these mini topics right now. Like for example, I know we got the Brawl for All episode that we're recording, and also the um, he wanted to do this thing, and and see, so yeah, the thing with Big D is that I gotta kind of calm him down because I think he wants to do the thing where why they shouldn't mess up drew and how they've messed everybody else up in the last 20 years but that's not really true because john cena didn't get messed up so i don't know where that topic is gonna take us i think what he wants to do is he wants to put over drew mcintyre yeah but i'm gonna be there to reel him in because yeah, but you're gonna counter every time that he's wrong <laughs> well that's the thing that i think i think it, it, you know it's a little you know i love big d but it, this this topic seems like it's a little self-serving and i gotta be careful with that because we gotta kind of like who have they? They haven't really killed anybody in the last. They haven't made stars, but the ones they do believe in, they I think they've done a good job. I mean, with John Cena and like Roman. Roman, there was other things. We're probably gonna spend an hour on fucking Roman again, which I'm tired of that subject. <laughs> but <laughs> so anyway, so that's what we're doing, and uh, just go to Google and type in K Fabulous Lucha Brothers, and then that you'll see all the iTunes. Or go to iTunes and type the same thing. It'll take you there. And that's pretty much it, man. Uh, I'll, I'll also put the link to the podcast page in the show notes as well. Okay, cool. Thank you. All right, man. I uh, appreciate you coming on. I couldn't do this episode without you knowing uh, your love of this match. So really appreciate okay. you coming on and, and spending some time with us. Cool. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. With a tear in my eye, 
this is the greatest moment in my life. When you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one, the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. And this is the only title in the wrestling world that makes you number one when you are the king of the WWE. You rule the world! Alright, we're back. I wanted to give you an opportunity to quickly talk about the Royal Rumble. I know we it, it, it's un, it would be unfair of me to not let you talk a little bit about that match just because of how uh, magical it was, you know, in, in 1992. The Royal Rumble is the first time at least to me, that the Royal Rumble really felt like uh, the match that it eventually became. And it still, still is to some point today. You know, they, they do two of them now. So it's kind of it's kind of a little bit of overkill. But, uh, you know, it, it is probably the, the one show that I look forward to more than any uh, from WWE is this Royal Rumble. And this match with Flair winning the whole thing is part of the reason yeah, why. Yeah, it's still the uh, Royal Rumble, still the stipulation match or special attraction match that really still gets me excited. I enjoy them for the most part. I mean, there's been some, some clunkers, but um, this one here in 1992, Ric Flair is one of his greatest performances of all time. Now, um, um, I remember I want to talk about real quickly is that, you know, I was watching it on scramble vision or listening on scramble vision. So um, I, I was just, I couldn't believe what was happening. And like, I, th- I thought Heenan and Gorilla did a great job for me describing the actions. And, and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, I, I was like going crazy. And of course, I got the videotape, you know, because I had it, you know, I, I talked about my friend Chad, he's the tape just over me. So I didn't see it that night. I had to wait a day or two. And when I saw it, it was even, you know, that much more amazing because seeing Flair have this amazing just just performance. And I just remember like, I would say like of the 29 other wrestlers, 28 or 27, the first person they went after when they got in the ring was Ric Flair. And the first person like Ric Flair, and every time a new person comes, Ric Flair just feed to him. And you get a kick out as a kid. I got kicked out of like seeing Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Eric, and Ric Flair hooking up, right? Cause no, I knew their history. Um, Jim Duggan and Ric Flair hooking up. I, cause I, yeah, I know they had matches in Mid South or, or whatnot. So um, I thought that was like really cool. I think even it wasn't Greg Valentine in the match, if I remember correctly. Like he got some shots mm-hmm. in Ric Flair. Yeah, and that's what that's what Draven uh, in in the in the segment that I did with him. He was talking about the Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Like if you were a long time yeah. wrestling fan, this match gave you those Easter eggs that they were kind of like just telling you, like, yes, you know, you know, if you were a wrestling fan from way back when, we're going to give you a little bit to to just uh, chew. Yeah, on so here. that that was that was so much fun, and the match is so good. A lot of twists and turns. Um, um, when Piper comes out. You know, that was like huge. You're like, oh my God. And Flair's facial expression was so perfect when when Piper comes out and they, you know, just a great match. And I know people probably listen to this podcast and may have most likely seen it. But if you haven't, it'd be worth just to get, you know, free subscription to WWE Network just to watch that oh, yeah. match. If you're a wrestling fan, you've never seen it, you have this like, you know, uh, 100 matches to watch before you die. This is definitely on that list. Okay, so we're going to get from January to uh, April, right before WrestleMania 8. We'll, we'll talk about all the things that were happening at this time. So, uh, from Bobby the Brain Heenan, 
In Ric Flair's book, he says, Rick would barely survive, barely survive, then at the last second, avoid elimination. He knew how to do it so well. He had the drama of the perennial NWA champion trying to prove that he was really the greatest going against everyone in World Wrestling Federation. It was the best match I ever announced. The only time I ever felt that a match I was calling was 100% real. Yeah, I believe it. After that performance, he did. Wow. Being in was great. So... So on the other side with WCW, where Flair had left about six months ago, um, Jim Hurd is is fired. And it was basically a him or me scenario with with Dusty Rhodes and the, uh, you know, the executive, the executives, uh, probably uh, Jack Petrick at that time, you know, reporting upwards to, I don't know, maybe to Ted Turner. Uh, saying, oh, you know, okay, like, you know, you, <laughs> we've, we've uh, had, had a lot of issues with guys not getting along with you. So the, here's, here's another one. And he was replaced by Kip Fry. Yeah. So Fry, uh, I thought some positive would happen with Kip Fry, but I guess it just didn't work out. They, they ended up, I mean, he seemed like he wanted to, to do some good things, but then I think the steroid thing happened and, and it was probably a little too big for him. But, you know, who knows? Like that that stuff is so um, the, the there's so much insanity going on right now in both companies that it's like almost hard to believe. I'll explain some of it. So as Draven was kind of alluding to uh, when we were talking, the way that they set up the main events at WrestleMania was they basically sold us on Hulk Hogan winning Jack Tunney's number one contender status and being the uh, being the main event for for Ric Flair at WrestleMania, Hogan is sitting at a table with Macho Man and Piper and Justice, and you know Jack Tunney says his name and he jumps up and he yes yes I got the spot. Um, that was never going to be the match. Justice ripping the and, paper, angry. Oh yeah, he was yeah. so mad. He was so mad. Uh, but that was never going to be the match and. That was a bit of a tease for us, right? Like for those of us who this was our dream match of all dream matches, they did this knowing that they were going to tease the hell out of us. And it was never in the cards and this was never the match. It was always going to be Savage and Flair and Hogan and Sid. And, you know, based off of that Royal Rumble finish, like that sure makes sense to me. But I, I, you know, the 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 teasing part. I don't know why they necessarily had to do that, but that was kind of what they did, and, and the reason why it was never going to be Hogan and Flair. So there, there's a couple reasons why actually, Hogan's going away to do uh, a pay, uh, a movie, and so he's not going to lose to Ric Flair, right? <laughs> like he's not going to not end up a WrestleMania match against Ric Flair without that title. And the fact of the matter is, he was going away after WrestleMania. Secondarily, the steroid thing is back in the mainstream news even hotter than when he originally lied to Arsenio Hall about steroids. There are so many scandals going on at WWF at this point that Hogan's name is Mud. It is literally Mud. And so the build, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about kind of the build in a second, but the whole thing was to babyface Hogan at the end because he was his, his his publicity was so bad because he was on all of these TV shows as steroid abuser and liar and this and and so he had to go away even if he wasn't doing a movie 
I don't think Vince was too happy with him because of all the bad PR that him lying eventually created for them. So um, a couple of like fun tidbits um, that I didn't even realize, and they're kind of buried in the Observer. Um, Ted DiBiase and Shawn Michaels were originally thought of to be the tag team before IRS replaced Shawn Michaels, and and for the better, right? Because Shawn was ready to go singles. But the one of the original ideas was DiBiase and uh, Heartbreak Kid as a tag team. That was super interesting to me. Yeah, they would have been they would have been a hell of a team. But yeah, I think the right call was Sean was you know he did the tag team thing for a long, very long time as a Rockers. It's time for him to see what he could do as a singles. And you know DiBiase has been the company for a very long time. Um, a lot of time in the ring, been wrestling for a very long time. I think him putting him with IRS is a perfect fit as Money Incorporated. And so I think the the right call was definitely made on both both uh, both parts, and and some of this is also because they had set up Janetti and Michaels, but Janetti got fired because you know Janetti uh, Janetti <laughs> did the Janetti, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Janetti, and and so like it sort of makes sense. We're like, ah, oh, they you know we now we can't do this thing that we set up, so maybe let let's put him in a in a tag and and have him you know basically be the the bump master of all bump masters facing all these gigantic tag teams. Um, so uh, come to February, Bob Arum, who we just talked about, yes, the same Bob Arum in 1992 uh, to now, he uh, he says that WWF wanted George Foreman as the special guest referee for Hogan Sid, but uh, Foreman turned turned him down. Arum thought it was good publicity, but Foreman didn't want to do it. And then uh, it was supposed to be Lou Ferrigno. But they had a falling out because Vince now talks about he has to test the WBF. He's in he's under so much fire for the WWF. He does the the uh, the original test just to see where everyone's at that uh, Draven and I were talking about. And then he's got to follow up with the second test. And then he has this really crazy policy for steroids about, oh, you know, my doctor or the doctor has these unbeatable steroid tests. And now we're going to test the WBF. And Lou Ferrigno is your is your uh, big time catch for that for that uh, WBF. And he's like, what the hell? Like, how am I going to be the top guy off of steroids? Like, what are you talking about, guy? And so he he does not referee that match, obviously. Um, there's a drug raid that happens at a St. Louis house show. Uh, the uh, I guess they WWE or WWF had gotten tipped off that this was happening like a couple hours before it happened. So nobody got caught. Nobody had anything on them. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not exactly sure why it happened. I'm the, you know, it, they wanted to catch them. I don't know. It's, it was kind of crazy cause it just, it just sort of happens. Um, Pat Patterson and Terry Garvin resign amongst allegations of sexual misconduct, which actually turns into the, uh, Tom Cole story that I think most people are aware of, but that becomes the the Donahue episode. You remember the Donahue episode where Big Dave is on the show sitting next to Vince McMahon, sitting between Vince and Bruno because Bruno wants to kill the guy. Um, and if you haven't heard, uh, I did a Wrestling Observer Radio with Big Dave about that show. Gosh, it's probably been like over a year now, year and a half now. 
uh, we did two parts talking about that thing. So uh, if you are a wrestling uh, observer subscriber, you can go back into the archives and find that thing. It was ridiculous, <laughs> all that stuff that was going on. Um, so uh, basically, because of all this, uh, we, we like like we said, the Hogan match turns into this like retirement thing. Like all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, it, I always thought it was weird because I was like, I'll, I'll, just out of the blue, it, it's all it's all of a sudden about Hogan could be his last match, and he does this crazy babyface promo before I think it was the the weekend before the pay per view. He does he does this promo sitting with Vince and talking about his career and everything. So on the other side, WCW again, they do Super Brawl where Lex and Sting have their title match. I remember that show being pretty good, but I I don't I don't remember liking that main event that much. Um, and uh, it does for WCW, even though I dug Lex and Sting as a uh, as a, a feud, it did the lowest buy rate for WCW ever. So that just kind of puts that whole feud and, you know, it's the third pay-per-view without Flair and they are not doing great business at this point. Um, I mean, I know you remember that match very yeah, 13 clearly. minutes. <laughs> I know the, yeah. Um, I remember Luger came because he's going to WF. Like he came in that, that match massive, just jacked. massive, um, definitely unable to go 20 minutes just because he's carrying so much muscle. Um, and they decided to do what they did. Basically did at the Super Bowl 91 is just go on and do like a, basically a big high spot match. And it's, it was, it's good for the, what the time that was given, but yeah, I didn't feel like that epic sting Luger match that we all dreamed about, um, that they were building to at the time. So, um, I remember being disappointed with the length of time. I remember like, Oh, it's over already, you know? And, and, um, but I went back and looked at it. It's not. It's still. It's not a bad match. It's just. It's just. It's just. It's, just, it's, not, it's not as legendary as it could have been. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess for the for the house show crowd, they shook hands or hugged oh. after the match or something that that but I never knew about. That whole show was really good. Super fun. Yeah, it was a really good show. Um, okay, so now we're in March. Uh, Big Jim Crockett. I guess I guess Big Jim Crockett would have been his dad, but Jim medium Crockett, Jim medium Jim Crockett, who was getting a lot of the credit for for some of the stuff that that they were doing that that made for good TV, uh, is also sent home probably as well from not getting along with uh, Big Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Bill Shaw replaces Jack Petrick, um, and like you said, Lex Luger joins the WBF even though his WCW contract does not expire for a little while. And uh, there was, um, I want to say, it, I think it was Kip Fry. He had he done it. He had done an interview and he was like, I know there's a loophole in the contract for him to do WBF stuff. But, you know, Vince is sleazy, whatever. Like, you know, there's the spirit of the rule doesn't allow for stuff like this. And, you know, and, and as we know, um, you know, we won't really cover this post, uh, but, you know, Lex actually gets hurt. So he's not able to to do the WBF run. So uh, anyways, um, the uh, the late and, you know, the late sell for for us, many eight, you have uh, Ric Flair having naked pictures of Elizabeth, <laughs> which was the, you know, that 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 sell for the the prurient interest of wrestling fans who may have been on the fence. 
Uh, and then there's the, you know, is Hogan going to leave? Uh, is, is he, if he's leaving, um, you know, h- how's this match going to end? And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that whole thing, but uh, I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying, you know, the Ultimate Warrior shows up at this WrestleMania. Now, do you think that the reason they bring Warrior back is because they know Hogan's going to be gone for probably a lot longer than most people realize. Because if not, like if the idea is Hogan is going to be back by SummerSlam or whatever, do you really need a minuscule version of the Ultimate Warrior? Yeah, I think they 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 didn't know what was going to happen with Hogan, right? They maybe were kind of, I think they were kind of worried that some legal issues would come up and they you know they need a new baby face and i'm surprised they didn't turn sid out of that match like a double turn maybe with you know papa sean coming out and attacking sid after maybe maybe harwood been pissed that he lost and you can kind of go with sid but then sid was because well, of steroids well, sid well, maybe, kinda, you know sid yeah. changes ways and then him getting fired yeah, he i mean he's, he's yeah. gone soon thereafter but I wonder. I mean, uh, I agree with you, but I, I, I'm, I'm guessing the reason is is because they knew that he tested dirty and that they were going to have to suspend yep, him anyways. Yep. And didn't you? Uh, and everyone remember? I don't know when I was a kid when I saw this. I actually watched it live. That was. Uh, I remember we. I, I I saw that WrestleMania eight was watched live at my friend Chad's house, which I had my tape in there to record. And <laughs> we went in there, and I remember he came out, and we were like, "Is that really the Ultimate Warrior?" Because he looks so small, and and I, I remember it back then. I also thought he was Kerry Von Erich, <laughs> Ultimate Warrior face paint. There was so yeah. many rumors. Yeah, back then. so I remember, I remember like being like, "Was that really him?" His hair looked weird, and obviously he didn't seem as intimidating or as massive as the Ultimate Warrior that I remember from you know nineteen eighty nine, ninety ninety one. You know, the reason why I knew it was him was because of mm-hmm. that run. Like, I, I don't think anybody could <laughs> run quite like the Ultimate Warrior could run. And so, you know, and, and if you knew anything about Kerry Von Erich back then, you knew he was not running to the ring True. because of his own disability. But yeah, like, you know, when, when I, I, I will, I will tell you, and, and, you know, we're not going to talk about Flair Savage. We're going to save that for, for next week. But when he does that run in, uh, I'm with, uh, I think I'm with my buddy Edson, uh, Eddie Zuko. I think he's there. I think my sister is there. My next door neighbor, we're at his house, Billy Parker, and uh, his his wife, Michelle, we're at their house. And, you know, the match with Hogan and Sid is pretty bad. But once that music plays, like we're sitting through this dull match and that music plays and everybody's ears perked up. And I just remember my sister going... It's the ultimate warrior. So she was all fired up. And my and my uh, b- uh, my neighbor, Michelle, she loved the ultimate warrior. And so she was all fired up. So at the end of that pay-per-view, even though that match was terrible, we all felt good about the end of the show because it meant, you know, warrior was back. And there, so there was a, you know, that was a little bit of the magic to that WrestleMania 8. You know, that match sucked, but they, they brought something back that you were desperately looking for. Uh, and it's just unfortunate that, you know, he was not going to going to be there for for the long run for that year because of the situation with the, you know, the growth hormone or whatever it was. But, yeah, like that, that was like, you know, and and, and, and now that I think about it, like I, I have to believe that it was a late kind of deal because WWF wasn't doing surprises yeah. back then. They were going to promote 
they were going to use him to sell that show if they knew he was coming back in time for them to yeah, promote it. I have no, to no, I, I believe it. Definitely, yeah, definitely a different game of surprising your audience to now to, to back then when you actually want to make sure you buy tickets to see it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, we we went uh, we went pretty long today. The last two shows have been pretty long because because our We Want Flair segments have been long. But before we go, um, I don't know if you've been watching a lot of TV with uh, with your wife or not. But you know, in this time, it's kind of like, what else are you going to do basically when you're staying home all day? So I was wondering if you had a recommendation for t- for a TV show, maybe that. Uh, is new or maybe it's something that you kind of revisited and you didn't know what was good because uh, I, I have one in particular but I wanted to give you the opportunity to to give one as well, well if you first have of one. all I was sucked in that damn Tiger King thing so I ended up, my <laughs> wife pushed for it and she's like you should watch it it's weird and so we watched it I was entertained um, I haven't really been watching too much that, that show was the con men of all like there's like seven oh, con yeah, men in that yeah, show yeah. no no good no no baby faces yeah, all no. con um nothing i would well you know what i keep i have I mean, i've already seen the whole series but they've been they've been promoting the marathons on usa um if you like like the just like the nice little quirky comedy show and some mystery show as well psych on usa was a, such a i loved that show i loved are they doing that movie? It's uh, coming out on the Peacock Network. Yeah, the second one. Oh, okay. So, uh, but, you know, I just love those guys, and I love that show. And I remember one night, I didn't watch it from the beginning. I remember, like, just kept seeing it. I'm like, this show's still on the air? That's all I can remember. Always seeing about Psych. This show is still on the air? What's so great about it? And, like, I watched one episode, like, late at night when I was at Trina's parents' house. <laughs> like, I couldn't sleep. And it hit every note for my sense of humor, and and I just fell in love with that show, and I watched the whole like I think it's like seven seasons of it, or five or six seven seasons of it. So, um, very quirky and funny, and uh, you know even Katrina got into it; she was digging it. So, um, yeah. So if you, you know if you had nothing to do on a Saturday or Sunday, I think that on the weekends they kind of do like a whole marathon of those kind of shows, and, and it's like there's sometimes there's like a long thread that's kind of within the show, but for the most part, it's like mystery of the week, right? So you can kind of jump in on every any episode and just enjoy. So for me, it is a show that I never even heard of, but it is right up my alley because it is about an old-time baseball announcer. It is called Brockmire, starring Hank Azaria uh, and Amanda Peet, and it is just... Like, like when, uh, when Crystal was, was saying, you know, do you want to watch this baseball show? It's on Hulu. Hulu was kind of promoting it. I think, I think it was on, uh, originally it was on the IFC channel. And so she's like, oh, it's a baseball show. And for me, baseball shows are kind of lame because I know that they actually have to play baseball and then I'm going to get frustrated when they play baseball. But there's some bad baseball in this show, but Hank Azaria is so good as this over-the-top caricature of a pro baseball announcer, I get such a kick out of it because, you know, my whole childhood was listening to Giants games on the radio and wanting to be a Major League Baseball play-by-play guy. Like, that was my dream since I was, like, 14 years old. So 
I know, you know, I know enough about that business and, you know, working at KMBR in San Francisco and kind of understanding the whole thing, you know, it's, it's John Miller, you know, we get to hear John Miller. I, I got to hear Hank Greenwald back in the day. So that was my dream. And his, like the way that he plays this announcer is amazing. The, the show is risque as all hell. But it's so funny and it just, you know, it's 22 minutes an episode or whatever and it zooms by. Fantastic. I know there's like four seasons or whatever. I'm only on season two. But, you know, before we go to bed, we we watch an episode every night and I just I love it. I'm like, it's one of those shows where I'm like kind of bummed that we're going through it sort of quickly because I know it's going to end and then I'm going to be frustrated when it ends. So, uh, Brockmeyer is, is my, uh, is, is my show to recommend. So maybe if we catch more stuff, uh, over next week or the week after, we'll, we'll continue to give our recommendations for people who are looking for new things to yeah, watch. And so before we end, we should also just, you know, tip our cat to all the great memories that Howard Finkel gave us as a... Oh, yeah, the Fink. I, I, the, the negative, the negativity with the business stuff was on the on my mind, and I completely forgot. Yeah, the, the Fink passed away, and oof, that was a tough Very one. tough, because uh, the voice of our, right, ring-announcing generation, um, him and, for him and he, he's, to me, the ultimate, but also, you know, below him was, a, for me, was Gary Michael Capetta, but, I mean, I mean, no ring announcer really set that like gave you the goosebumps you know it is now time you know now time for your you know and you just and, or every time someone won a championship and he would say the new even though when macho man won it he didn't say new he said and once again or something i was like no i, I wanted to hear new because i just watched that match today again because we're gonna review it next week so um rest in peace fake man thanks for everything thanks for all the great memories you know the one of the I think I think old time WWE fans will have this meant uh, th- this the same sentiment, but I have no idea why they took his job away from him as quickly as they did. Now I I guess I shouldn't say I, I don't know why because they wanted uh, they wanted someone more attractive than him in that role, but uh, and look, Lillian Garcia is. is good like she's like she she was good she wasn't a great announcer like like finkel uh but you know she was she was oh she was an okay ring announcer but when you have like the best guy and you replace him you have to replace him with someone who's also like one of the top and and so i was always frustrated because he should have been doing it a lot longer than he did. And maybe some of it was, you know, for reasons that we don't know, I, you know, personal reasons or whatever. I know that, you know, when in these last few years, he was not in good health, but, you know, he would come out and do special shows and, and he would ring announce for special shows. And when he did it, you were like, my God, like it just shows how much better he is than everybody else when, when he was doing it. And he probably, you know, he probably because the fans were clamoring for him to come back, it probably wasn't good for him that everyone wanted him back whenever he would show up. But yeah, like like I think, you know, talk about someone who probably could have done it well into the 2010s oh, yeah. and was just not utilized. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would never understand that decision. I, I get it going younger. But when you have, you know, when you have a legend and 
it doesn't matter. I mean, that voice, I mean, you know, you need to show him on TV. Shoot. Just have him at ringside. You know, I don't know what you could do, but like, I like, I, I like, you know, during the evolution doc or the ruthless regression documentary on the network on evolution, I kind of went back and started watching some of that stuff. And like, I remember, you know, Chris Benoit coming out and it's like, you know, just like, and I remember just like kind of, oh, shoot, the Fink's still re-announcing here, you know? And it just, just remember every feeling like that match with him, just him and Orton match for the SummerSlam match felt more bigger than it probably was by just Fink just setting the stage, you know? Yeah, definitely RIP Fink. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was tough because he, he was just as much uh, a part of, of our wrestling fandom growing up as, as anything in the 80s. Like he was he was a, a consistent part of that uh, throughout throughout the whole time. So, all right. So uh, that is it for here. For John, I am Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.